Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe, joined by Chipotle master himself, Andrew Harlick, and this is going to be episode 106 with Naughty Dog UI designer and illustrator Alexandria Neonaki, who joins us this week to share some of her stories about working on The Last of Us, her experiences in getting a visa and working in the U.S., and the influences nostalgia has had on her work. There's also a ton of pop culture talk in this episode, including some of our favorite films and games. So here we go, world, episode 106. Let's roll. I unfortunately haven't played um, The Last of Us yet, which I know is blasphemy because so many of my friends have worked on it, and I've heard I've heard nothing but great things from it, which is really surprising because. There's always somebody in the group that goes, yeah, game sucks, you know, but everybody's <laughs> there, like, I feel like there's notorious, like, like praise for that game. I've never heard anything bad about it. No, that's what I just said. I said, nobody said anything oh, bad yeah. about it. So <laughs> I'm, 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 what I, what I'm getting at is that I haven't played it. I think the only reason that I haven't is, uh, PlayStation's like $500 or something. And PlayStation uh, three, not anymore. It was, is that the unit that you can play it on? Like, what's yeah. the best one? Is it four or something like that? Isn't that? I mean, I played it on PS3 and it was phenomenal. Is that the one that it was released on? And yeah. Like made, made for? Okay. I thought for some reason it was on PlayStation 4. I don't even know what. Well, it, it was remastered oh. for it. But so, is it like better graphics and stuff? I mean, yeah. <laughs> she's yeah. selling it she's like yeah drink that kool-aid <laughs> I mean, it's just because it's like uh it, it's just a better system it's a better console so we could like crank everything up make it look better but yeah i i i can't talk about myself personally playing the game i know andrew you've played it right yeah it's like okay. probably my favorite game from the generation yeah but, yeah it's it's like i in my opinion it's like inarguably like flawless in pretty much every category like the graphics are far and away better than like anything i've ever seen the story is like perfect in my opinion like i feel like a fanboy just sucking up to it but it really is like shockingly good awesome that's awesome see that's what i've heard from everybody and i feel like a jackass for not playing it but yeah Oh man, I don't know how people find time to play games. I'm playing Bloodborne right now and it's sucking like all of, I feel so guilty every day I come home and instead of painting or doing something productive, I'm just sucked into that trap. So I get it. People have lives they have to live and you know, you can't spend all your time playing games. I couldn't do that. I would feel horrible because I, uh, I have to do like a bunch of art or something. I have to do, uh, or I feel horrible at the end of the day. Maybe I'm just, I haven't built up that, um, that thing that, that, uh, that muscle, I guess that, uh, Andrew sent me this link to Shia LaBeouf's thing. Like he's like, just do it. Like oh, yeah. his motivational <laughs> thing. And so like it, the way he said it, I was like, yeah, I get what you're saying, dude. Like I go and I'm like, I fucking do it. There's no, there's nothing in my way, you know? And, and so like when I think about, um, getting stuck in video games. I'm like, no, I've re- I've resisted it for so long. I'm still doing it. I, that's why my fear. I've heard lo- the Last of Us is a very long game. It's not that long. Like I 19 mean, hours, probably 17 to 19 hours. Fuck I my like life. I, I don't spent even like sleep. 10. <laughs> you I don't know. You spent 10. Damn, you're like just hauling ass through it then. No, I I, I took like a really long time to be. I mean, just like over a long span of time, but I feel like it wasn't over 
10 in total. I don't know. I wasn't keeping track. Alexandria. Is, oh, sorry. Go ahead. It's advice from a guy who's eating only Chipotle right now. Oh, though. God. Yeah. <laughs> you know about this Chipotle shit? Oh, yes, no. I do. Uh, how do you know? Did you freaking read it? It was a hard on- cafe. That was like all we talked about at the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah, right. It's on fucking CNN and shit. <laughs> Andrew eats fucking Chipotle every day. I have a friend I, uh, I met who works at Chipotle. I met him this oh, weekend shit. and I was like, damn, you, you don't even know about my boy Andrew. He's just, <laughs> he's eating your shit every day. He's like, every day? He's all, that's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> he said he said it's actually pretty healthy so i was like yeah it is we agree yeah. on it that's what you guys talked about awesome john <laughs> loves it he would do that if allowed <laughs> <laughs> you won't let him huh you're like no we have to eat something else <laughs> i mean yeah i it's disgusting to eat that every day. i'm sorry Andrew. Well, it's okay i said the funny part of, the, of andrew's joke is that he's posting all the burritos and once all he does is year long or whatever he's going to do, I don't know what the hell you're doing, dude. I don't even know. And at the end of it, he'll sh- he'll post up all his bloody undies <laughs> to coincide <laughs> at the same date. <laughs> That'll be the the funny part of the jokes. You have to do that now, actually. At least like one I mean, bloody undie. And but I'm yeah, happy to report that I have no bloody undies. Yeah, actually. right. Such lies. Four days. They're paying him not to say that. We know. We've all eaten Chipotle with the red sauce. We know what happens. Are they like buying your Chipotle for you yet? Like, are no. they paying? No, they've sent me like gift cards, but like a couple of them. Not like they're not buying me like on mass or anything. It was just like, yeah. One of my friends told them it was my birthday a couple weeks ago, and uh, they just like sent me a big birthday gift package of Chipotle like memorabilia like mm-hmm. gift cards and t-shirts and like all sorts of random shit it's super cool they're a cool yeah. company man i like them i dig them i try to eat chipotle at least like twice a month and every time i do i send you a fucking picture yeah. <laughs> and he loves it anyways sorry this isn't about you andrew and your fucking <laughs> dirty undies i'm sorry <laughs> this is about alexandria and your awesome art okay man now which was crazy i was like and I know that you did the UI, but then I was looking for your work and all I could find was these amazing drawings. And I'm like, wait, it says UI artist. I know that you do UI. So I was like, what the heck's going on here? So what's really great is to see that you're multi-discipline, which I think is really interesting. We should probably talk about how these two worlds influence one another because I'm really curious myself. Uh, yeah, I don't really post a lot of the UI stuff because to me, the biggest thing that I contribute to UI, especially on a game like The Last of Us, is kind of like thinking through uh, the usability part. Um, I think a lot of people think that it's mostly the aesthetics or the visuals, and that obviously plays a part in it. But um, to me, the, the thing that's like the real meat of that job is... Um, kind of designing out the functionality, working with designers and the game director uh, to make something that feels good. Uh, And that's really hard to put into a portfolio, I guess. (laughs) Uh, So like the lot, you know, if you look at the last of us or play the last of us, that, that kind of is the portfolio. It it can't really be taken out of the game and presented properly, I guess. Like I can show the icons and I have, I've posted those places um, and things like that, but uh, those are just such a small part, I guess, of, of what I do. So, yeah, I really just post the, the illustration stuff. 
which is really awesome. Would you consider that to be more of the user experience? You're discovering and designing the experience for the user because in your um, interview on the um, the making of The Last of Us, the Grounded um, video, the documentary, like you mentioned, uh, like we all hate UI and I totally agree with you. I'm designing a game right now and I'm, I'm doing my best to have no menus at all in it. None. Yeah. That's <laughs> a good, that's a good goal. That's the best goal. It is the best goal. It's like, you got to have nothing in the way of the gameplay. The gameplay for me is, is the God of it all from my personal uh, understanding of what I want it to be. So, yeah, I think you're right. It's like, um, you kind of want them to barely notice it. Like if they're paying too much attention to it, then something's gone wrong. Um, yeah. And if they're stuck in it, then you, something's really gone wrong. Um, so yeah, I, I hesitate to use the word user experience with what I do because it's so hard to like, like what is that in in uh, AAA games? That's sort of also game design, and it's sort of also anime. It's like all the we're all kind of contributing to that. Yeah, so, true. Yeah. Um, I think that's a very valid thing in. Um, more apps and uh, like web content where the UI is the content. Uh, But in games, like you said, it's this kind of layer that you sort of want to, you sort of don't want to see, but you need to see. Uh, So yeah, it's more like playing that, that balance of like um, figuring out how to do that properly. It's a tough, I think it's a really tough um, um, juggling act when you really consider what, what that is and how that works and just, trying to navigate things and making sure that the user and the player is like really um, active in it. We had John McClellan on the podcast who helped um, do UI and UX for Alien Isolation. He had a really kind of a poetic way of approaching his outlook on designing game UI. And he said, you have to silently usher the gamer, uh, the player into the world. And you have to silently kind of interact with them in a way where it's not disruptive so it's like as of as you're watching a movie almost and you kind of like oh yeah it's gonna look over to your left or something you know in a really sensual voice you know yeah yeah look over there i'm gonna like fangirl for a second because their ui was awesome that's beautiful Uh, and i watched a documentary they did their making of as well where they talked about like recording it on old vhs and then screwing up the vhs tapes and then uh, I thought it was so amazing to incorporate, uh, to put such thought into it, to make it. That whole game was really cool. John's a huge fan of that game. Uh, he's always asking if they'll make Jurassic Park. Like I think he probably said it on your podcast. He says it all the time. Uh, that would yeah. be actually really cool. I wonder, if, you know, with with such a um, a successful experience as that as Alien Isolation was. I imagine they have um, ample opportunities to do different franchises if they want to, you know, and if they won't, then I'm sure somebody else will jump on the bandwagon. But that that game is filled with integrity, which is yeah. which is which is what's really unique. And that's what I've really the core of what I've heard positively from The Last of Us. I haven't played it, so I can't say it, but that's what that seems to be the word that kind of sums up what The Last of Us is as well, you know. So yeah, it's nice to hear, <laughs> which is cool, right? I mean, isn't it nice to be? Because how many years were you working on The Last of Us? You know, I only came in in the last eight months. Okay. When I started, there were six months left, um, and then we extended it, and I got an extra two. But um, it was a whirlwind eight months. Uh, so I wasn't on it as long as other people were, but 
um, I got to see it all come together at the end and it was just an awesome, terrifying experience. Yeah. Well, it's gotta be pretty awesome to be a part of a, something that has, um, yeah, it's just so much love for it. You know, that's gotta be cool to be associated with that too. I remember even, uh, like you said, you had mentioned that your first pass when you first came on wasn't as strong as your second and third and, and the iteration process I imagine was pretty interesting for you. Um, was there a learning curve working on this video game or, um, is it for everything that you approach? Do you have, you know, like a first pass and second pass? We kind of, you mentioned this and talk about it on your blog too, which I would love to talk a bit about more as well. It's just the, the iterations and processes to get to the final outcome. Yeah. I think that's something you, you had asked about, um, tying illustration in, and that's something I learned uh, you know, a long time ago with illustration is you probably, I probably don't get it right the first time. In fact, I never get it right the first time. Uh, and so I kind of just had to accept that about myself. I'm sure there's someone out there who does like there's probably people, but yeah, I know. Right. Uh, but you know, they exist and, and that you kind of see them on the internet or, or what you see on the internet's kind of just what they choose to show you. Uh, and you know, I got it in, the, in my head, like, oh, I'm supposed to just get it right all the time. And then once I realized, like, no, it's a process. Like, you learn from every step, and making mistakes is a is a big part of that. Like, you need to kind of work through the mistakes and really look at your yourself and the work you're doing and analyze like what feels good about this and what feels bad. Um, and so that's something that I think carried over. It's it's very much shared with illustration. Um, and yeah, it was hard with not very much time left. Um, there, we also, it was a huge learning curve because the pipeline was nothing I'd ever encountered before. It was kind of um, scripted in, but our scripting system was a little confusing. So I worked closely with a programmer, but everything that you see in The Last of Us was placed like pixel per pixel um, in a script. Like it was like X, you know, this location why this location and i type in the locations and like push it to the build and then see where it ended up on the screen hmm. uh so it was this very kind of um it was it was a legacy system that was there um since uncharted one i believe uh and yeah it was it was like crazy i just kind of got dropped in and was like oh i have to learn this technical system and i have to get this ui looking and feeling good and it was one of those situations where you're so stressed out that you're just like, fuck, I don't have time to be stressed. I'm just going to do this. Like I'm going to do my best. Um, awesome. Which are sometimes the best, you know, yeah. no, no time to think and second guess. You just have action. Yeah. It, for me there, they always kind of end up being g- good. Like, like in the end I can figure it out. It's hard in the moment you're stressing out. I was staying late every night um, to like two in the morning, just trying my best and, you know, there's things I think I might change now looking at it. I haven't played the game since I played it on my first playthrough uh, out of fear that I'm going to be like, oh, I hate it. I hate mm. all of this. I should have I should have done this different. Um, so I might sit down soon and, and play it through again um, just to kind of take note of my mistakes and know to not do those moving forward. That's got to be tough, too. I mean, the other thing, too, is when you release the work and the world sees it, you can't go back, you know? So it's kind of becomes its thing. But again, though, to reiterate, it's like obviously it's worked out and it's become a success and people admire it and love it. And it can also be a testament to trying to make sure you make games that are more immersive without having 
um, confusing gameplay to pull you out of the situation, especially with a game, um, the looks of that, which is like incredibly cinematic and um, hyper real and, and almost like you're watching a, a narrative film. So, you know, it's kind of alien to have like user experience uh, elements coming into your way when you're trying to like create an action or solve something, you know, so which is really difficult. I can't imagine how you have to approach each one of these steps, you know? So is there something that you can imagine that you can um, reminisce on now that was a bit of a challenge trying to solve and how you got over it? The hardest thing was definitely the weapon selection thing. Um, that took the longest, the crafting system took quite a bit of time too. Um, but the, the weapon select was just, it just wasn't feeling I talked about that in the documentary. It took, um, it took so many different iterations. We had a radial in there. We had this thing where you had to go into your bag because that's a bit more realistic and we were going for realism. And that was hard because it's like realism versus not frustrating. Like (laughs) realistically he'd open his, take off his backpack and look in it. But how do you make that feel good in a video game when there's zombies all around you, like trying to kill you and, um, it just didn't feel good. It felt, uh, it just didn't feel right. Um, and so you had to get rid of some of the realism to allow for a game that flowed better. And that's something that, uh, that's a testament to Neil and Bruce, the creative and the game director. Um, Neil handles story mostly and Bruce handles gameplay mostly, but they do a lot of crossover. Uh, and they were so good at directing and working together to make sure that both of those things um, felt good on all fronts, that it told a good story while still being a good game. Uh, So I think most credit for that really has to go to really good leadership on that project and a really like really good goal that was always, everyone was always aware of what we were trying to do, a cinematic good game. Um, So yeah, I have to give a lot of credit if not most of the credit of that to them. That's rad. You can really tell, and that's cool that you say that because you can, I can feel that I can tell that, um, these guys are leading, um, with a lot of passion, but also with a really clear, um, voice. I think a lot of times with a product or a game or an experience or a film or what have you, um, if the director and, or whoever's really driving the force is, is very clear in their communication, and very, um, yeah, just really clear with it. It usually seems to be a success um, in some way. Um, it's, it's just, there's a there's a there's a path that really connects those two things, and that's definitely a trait that I've been noticing. And I'm trying to make sure I keep that in with what I'm doing as well because I feel it's it's essential to creating a good product. You know, um, clear vision is an incredibly important, and you can really tell from just from my outside's point of view, not playing and not understanding how it actually functions, but just watching and, and, and focusing on um, the behind the scenes and stuff like that. How important do you think the game, um, having both of these, uh, like, cause it's two directors, right? This game. Yeah. Well, one's the game and one's the creative director. Yeah. How important do you think it was that they had that dynamic to it? Like checks and balances at a very high level. Do you think that really helped? Yo, yeah, I don't think it would be what it is without both of them. Like, I don't think anything that I work on with them would be what it is without them. They're just really, really good at what they do and really good at working together to communicate to the, the whole team what, what the goal is. They're also excellent at 
taking advice and criticism. Like they, they don't, they're not the type of leaders that need to be in control of everything all the time. Like they'll defer to us, you know, on issues of UI, we'd have conversations and it was never one sided. It was always like, you know, a discussion. And, That's cool. um, so they, that I think is another trait of a good leader, someone who knows where their knowledge ends and where yours begins. Yep. Um, and both of them uh, are excellent at that. So I'm just talking them up. So that's good though. <laughs> They're I mean, great. <laughs> yeah, that's really good though. And people that are listening that are aspiring to direct video games or direct films or direct anything of substance or goodness, like take note of these because these are these are the essential ingredients I think in order to make something. Um, strong and like you said staying humble and also um i 100 percent agree like the best way to um create something great with a group of people is to work with people better than you and not to be afraid by that but actually encourage it by allowing people to take responsibility for their own ideas and actions and employing them to solve these things so you can focus on other things that they're not aware of which is the overall view of things you know which is essential to the overall finishing thing because you can have a game with amazing ui but if the game sucks it's just the game sucks you know and so your 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 work gets pulled down with that you know unfortunately mm -hmm. so that's really cool it's really it's, it's it's interesting to see and what's great for me is from just standing out and seeing it is that i hope this sets trends for more of this kind of attitude and action because i know for a while there and just like movies are now they're kind of in a lull or they're missing um those examples i think you know to, this this works you know this is an example that works like um because a lot of times people just mimic or copy success right but if, if if success is made over people that are passionate and doing things the right way whatever that is i think that really helps um the rest of the community you know yeah definitely especially the way that things are documented these days as well. So, which is really fascinating. Yeah. But yeah, that's cool. I'm, I want to talk a little bit more. Do you have any more like Andrew, do you have UI questions like uh, about the last of us? Yeah. Um, not so much questions as I do just like praise for being able to accomplish as much as you did. But I mean, it's, it's amazing in that game, especially like how frenetic some of the scenes can get and have like almost like it's not even as if you're being hampered by the UI at all. It's like such a, a natural state of like progression through like switching weapons or like building or crafting an item or doing anything that like, I think it just achieved its job as well as a game of that caliber could have. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, shut up already. Stop talking about, <laughs> stop talking about that game. No, that's cool. Do you, are you, do you get tired of talking about it or hearing about the game or did you get burnt out? Cause sometimes that's pretty common as well. No, no, not, not really. I mean, I've not talked too much about it. Um, especially recently, but, uh, not, not really. No, I don't mind talking about it. <laughs> that's awesome. That's good. I mean, that must've, you know, must mean that it worked out and it was a good, um, experience, you know, that you can look back on it and not like, want to cry or something you know like ah oh, i hated that because <laughs> there's no, some projects yeah. i can kill and just like oh man this is the worst but uh, awesome let's talk a bit about more of your like drawings and your art side of things because that's a whole other side of what you do and how do you fit that into your daily life and um yeah just kind of maybe a little bit of background on 
did you are you formally educated and if so where did you go all that good stuff i know andrew mentioned something about you guys talked about visas and stuff it'd be really interesting to bring that up here because i know you guys talked about it at the art cafe thing oh yeah that yeah visas (laughs) i'm canadian so (laughs) yeah this would be cool to talk about that okay well starting with um i i wasn't really formally educated fully uh i went to school i initially went to school for sciences um and i did that for four years and uh was gonna uh, was on track i wanted to do pre-med i didn't really want to my dad wanted me to (laughs) uh and the whole time i was like drawing and stuff and um i I just decided I didn't want to do that anymore. I didn't want to do science. Um, I saw an opening for a graphic artist uh, for a game company in Halifax called HB Studios. Um, I didn't even know what that was. And it was 2007, so there wasn't a ton of information on the internet. Uh, But I applied for it anyway, and I got it. Um, And that gave me quite... That was a lot of my UI education, actually, from that job. Um, And then... I ended up leaving there and going to school for just a year, like fine arts school. I did like sculpture and uh, photography and drawing and all like the basic um, intro art school stuff. Uh, From there, I started freelancing full time, um, did that for a while. Then I wanted to move to the States uh, and I specifically wanted to work at either Naughty Dog or Valve, uh, which is in Seattle. Uh, But California is a nicer place place to live I thought it's it's more different from Halifax Uh, and so I moved to California and quickly realized that you can't just live here and you can't just work here like you need a work visa Um, (laughs) and I couldn't even you can't even freelance and I know there's people that kind of do it but you you know if you get audited you get kind of kicked out for like three to six years or maybe forever. I don't know. So I wasn't really willing to take the risk. Um, And so I had to go to school down here to finish getting certification uh, so that I could get a work visa to work at a small mobile company. So I just did a, like a two year um, at a community college, Orange Coast College, which is actually really great. Did figure painting and had all these great classes. And I I learned quite a bit from it. Um, And uh, yeah, then I was able to get a TN visa Um, And that's why I said to people, like, be really, really careful. You get a lot of good information from people saying don't go to secondary school. You don't need it or post-secondary school. Sorry. Um, And they're right. You probably don't need the actual education. But um, if you don't live in the United States, if you're not a citizen of the United States and you want to work in the United States, the government doesn't care how good of an artist you are. They only care if you've worked professionally Um, And I think it's like six to nine years if you don't have um, an education or if you have an education like and and that's it. Like and people will say things like, oh, if you're good enough, they'll figure it out. I mean, that's not how it worked out for me. Like, I know that that's how it worked out for Mache, but he had like he had more than six years of full time freelance experience and he could prove it. He had the paperwork, he had letters, he had all this stuff. And so you know, you just have to weigh your options and be like, okay, if you don't want to move there right now, you could just work in your home country until, um, until you have that experience. But if you, if you have some reason that you need to be there now, then it's like, that's when you have to look into, okay, some, whatever amount of post-secondary school that you need to do to get the, um, visa. 
uh, I just urge people like really look into it, do the research, figure out what all your options are and don't just cross out options because someone on the internet said you don't need it. Like you could very well need that um, for other reasons than just the art education. So is there like a, a resource like page or something for somebody to go for to look for these kind of things that like, is there a like, government page for visa information? Yeah, I think it's called USCIS. Let me look. Yeah, it's the United States Immigration Services homepage. Okay. Um, and that has links to all of the um, all of the different visa types and everything. Uh, this sounds so shitty. I'm so stoked. I don't have to deal with that yeah. stuff. <laughs> I'd be punching and, shit like crazy. Oh fuck this! Uh, I hate paperwork. What? It's stressful even like once you're here, there's lots of rules about being here. My visa has tons of rules and restrictions. Like I can't do freelance still. As soon as my job, like if I get fired tomorrow, I have 10 days to leave the country. Like huh? it's, it's really Whoa. like people need to take this stuff seriously. And I've heard so many people be like, oh, you don't need to worry about that. But it's like, yeah, no, you don't, you don't need to stay up at night worrying about it, but you do need to know that this is a real thing that you're going to have to contend with. Um, and even the greatest companies, if you don't qualify for the visa, they can't just give it to you because it's the government. It's not the company that gives it to you. Yeah, um, I've heard lots of different myths and things about that. Like, oh, the government or the company can do it, blah, blah, blah. And so it's interesting to know because I thought they might have a little bit of sway in that, but... Probably not because they have to file just like everybody else. Yeah. And some lawyers that the like, so Sony has a lawyer, obviously, that they use to to do this. And I'm sure some of them just know better what the what the rules are of all this, like good qualified immigration lawyers know every type of visa there is and what all the stipulations are and all that. So I'm sure there is some validity to a good company will help you get it. But um, yeah, I I only preach worrying about this because I got hit so hard by this. <laughs> like, oh, yeah? Uh, I wouldn't preach this if it didn't personally happen to me. I had to wait two years just going to school with no income uh, because I wanted to stay here. So Wow. Yeah, that's how much I wanted to be in America. Damn, America. <laughs> you're American, man. Damn, you want that America sauce. Damn, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah, I wanted the jobs here. They're so good. It, yeah, is it is it a quite a difference? I know that there's a Ubisoft is up in uh, Canada. Isn't there a unit up there in Quebec? Maybe I think is that where yeah. it's at. Montreal. And Montreal. Then- there's also a ton of game studios now. There's also um, BioWare is in Edmonton. Uh, Edmonton is like a cold, cold. Cold ass place. Yeah. In the winter, in the summer, it's not at all. But it's just way too cold for me in the winter. I don't know how people live there. Um, and uh, then Vancouver has quite a few cool game companies actually now. But I, they weren't the companies I wanted to work for. I think they're all awesome. Um, but when you have a specific goal in mind, sometimes, you know, you just, it's really disheartening to think, oh, the thing that's standing between me and that is a stupid piece of paper. (laughs) Uh, so I refuse to accept that. And I just came down here anyway. That's good. Yeah. That shit would annoy the fuck out of me. I don't like that stuff. I really hate when, um, things like that get in the way of just you being able to do what you're supposed to be doing with what you want to be doing that there's so many just degenerate assholes. I'm not going to go on a rant here just a little bit, but there's a lot of asshole idiots that live in this country that I'd rather not have here. And it's like, it's it's such a bummer when I hear people like 
having to fight tooth and nail. But I guess what also makes it um, powerful for you is that, well, I've, you can go like, I've put in my dues, I've made this all work and I'm, you know, like it's coming together so I can really appreciate, um, you know, the, this process or become an American, you know, <laughs> for this, the super job sauce. Yeah. And I mean, I get it. Everyone, there's a lot of jobs here that people want. There's a lot of people living here already that are struggling to get jobs. And so I get why they have these in place. It's a very, it's a system that makes sense. Um, It's just giving people fair warning uh, that you need to take that in mind um, if you want to live here. Well, that's good to know. There you go. If you're interested in coming to to the States and you're wanting to be aware of your own rights as a person and and the rights that we allow in this country, then there you go, which I'm so stoked to have to deal with that, though. Yeah, so stoked. (laughs) I feel like this is the thing I'm going to become known for because I also mentioned it in Jay's thing. Like, (laughs) I'm the crazy girl that rants about getting getting your visa. (laughs) You know your shit, though. That's like you'll be known for knowing your shit about it. (laughs) Yeah, it's good to rant about certain things if you know about it, too. And you're just trying to help somebody. So and that's kind of what the podcast is designed to do as well is help people be aware of just certain things, not just, you know, how to push pixels around, but also how to live that artistic balanced life and understand the ebbs and flows of the the legal process of these things as well, because it's like, you know, drawing and, and, and creating and designing is only a part of the equation. Um, there's so much more of it that makes a successful person, I think, outside of it. And so that those are really important to talk about, I think, because, yeah, they're essential. Yeah, no one ever told it to me. So it's a thing that I wish someone had mentioned at some point. Do you think you would have listened if they had told you? I probably wouldn't have. I, mean, I shut up, you. Visa person, <laughs> probably, probably not. No, you're right. Actually, because back then I was pretty pigheaded. So yeah, I'm sure maybe someone did tell me. Like maybe someone sat me down and was like, "Now, now," and I was like, "Yeah, whatever." You're all, yeah, I'm playing Naughty Dog games, yo. Get out of my way. <laughs> you mentioned that you wanted to work for Valve or Naughty Dog. Um, what what is it about either company um, that? drew you in that you made you decide that these were the two companies that you wanted to work for. And I, I'm, I'm guessing you are a quote unquote gamer than you would know. So yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so naughty dog was the nostalgia of, um, my sisters and I, uh, and my brother would sit around our little PlayStation one and play crash bandicoot and crash oh, yeah. team racing. I remember, that. Um, bandicoot. <laughs> I remember that. That's so funny. It's like from the makers of crash bandicoot comes yeah. the last of us. It's like, yep. what? Uh, <laughs> and then, leap. you know, I saw uncharted, um, and it was just such a like mind blowingly attractive game. Um, hmm. at the time it was fun and it was like Indiana Jones and it just looked really good. And it was like, wow, what a, crazy what a crazy accomplishment um and you know they're just like this one of those benchmark studios uh and the same with valve uh i loved all of their games uh left for dead and team fortress 2 um they're all awesome super fun games those are tend to not be as like cinematic they're very gameplay driven um but they're fun and like i'll still play tf2 like that game is old now and it's still kicking and is still a really fun game so it's a testament to how good they are uh, at making games 
Uh, I was going to ask you, what do you think makes a good game in your definition? And sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But before I forget, because obviously as a person that considers themselves um, a video game enthusiast or whatever you want to title yourself as, um, I'm curious as to see what you think is a valuable, like the valuable key, maybe like what's the three valuable key things that makes a great game for you? Oh my goodness. Um, You're on the spot. (laughs) I feel like one of the biggest factors for me in deciding if I'll, if I'll play a game through to the end versus just give it up is if, um, if I die, but I still like, I'm not frustrated with the game. I'm like more thinking like, Oh, I did something, but it's not the game's fault. Like sometimes you'll play a game and, just like the controls will feel clunky or you don't feel like you're in control of it. Um, and it's just like, Oh, the game's doing something wrong and that's why I'm failing. And that's the thing I always try to, with the UI, like I really want to avoid that, like that feeling of the game is messed up versus I'm the one that's messing up. Uh, so that's a huge part of it. Um, having like either a story that's compelling or some sort of like, like goal-based system that's compelling. So I really like Bloodborne. I already mentioned it in this thing, but it's not for the story. I don't really even understand what's happening in the story, but it's just this like, you know, very grueling um, step-by-step kind of goal accomplishing game. Uh, And I just... I'm really taken by those games. Um, And then I'm like, I think there's like all these different types of gamers. I think I'm a collector. Uh, So I played like Pokemon and Hmm. I've played all these games that are kind of collection based games. And so that will like, even if it doesn't have the other two, those games for some reason always uh, captivate me. So, um, but yeah, just any of those three things are awesome if it has all three of them. Um, and I'm pretty much sold. What's an unforgivable error in a gameplay game, game playing experience? Oh, bad controls. Uh, I can't play a game if the control scheme feels bad to me. Like if uh, a thing that's happening right now in a lot of newer games as animations get more robust, like more realistic looking, um, I find the controls start to, to feel bad. Like, uh, because you'll be, you know, doing something, trying to do an action or trying to move forward, and the character's doing all these, like, elaborate animations, <laughs> and they're not doing the thing that you're you're inputting for them to do sure. um, in a timely fashion. And it just feels, like, sluggish and, and bad. Like, I just, I hate that. Um, I hope that that stops being a thing soon. Uh, it's like response time, maybe? Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's controller responsiveness. Um, and that's usually what contributes to me feeling like it's a game's fault versus my fault. Is if sure. the controller's not... If I'm if the controller's not responding to me inputting, basically. Because um, that's all it is, right? Like, that's you're inputting and there's a response on the screen. So if that's broken somehow, then that's kind of where it breaks for me entirely. Sure. And that's understandable because that's a lack of communication, which at the most essential core, which is like you, the player and your connection to your avatar or whatever that you're controlling within the game. So, yeah, that makes sense. That's would drive me up the wall for sure. At the last time I remember playing a game completely to to the end was like, um, <laughs> you guys are going to laugh. It was probably uh, 
Metal Gear Solid One on PlayStation One, baby. <sighs> yeah. Wow. All wow, the way that to is the a end. Long time that ago. is a very long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> that was the jam. I was in high school, man. I was like, oh god, I gotta get this game. But I used to play Crash Bandicoot, but I don't think I ever beat it. But that was a lot of fun. I watched uh, recently watched the um, documentary. Um, on Nickelodeon or not Nickelodeon <laughs> Nintendo that was really cool it was really cool actually getting to see like where Nintendo came from as like a game card company in Japan and how they just dominated Donkey Kong and then um, just kept crushing it but it was really interesting to me because um, and I'm not sure if you guys see this as well is when I grew up uh, like Atari already kind of hit and Nintendo came through but like growing up with Mario Brothers and all that kind of stuff, I didn't, I didn't really think about how weird and unique and odd that was because it's really fucking weird. You're this plumber hitting <laughs> your head on these cubes. Mushrooms are coming out, giving you superpowers, and you're fucking like saving princesses. I mean, if that's not a psychedelic trip, I don't know what the fuck is. And so for me, that was really. Um, I don't realize until I'm adult, an adult now, to realize the innocence and just raw obscurity that that game offered and i'm wondering is there a game that's out there now i'm sure there are games but is there a like a what do you call that like a triple a game i guess that has such obscurity um obscure i mean i guess katamari is pretty close but that's older <laughs> now even it's not as old as mario but it's- nobi nobi boy is pretty weird in that same vein yeah. Are those AAA, like, large, like, mm. ha- like you know, I never even mm. heard these names, you know? Oh, dude, they're weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Mario I wouldn't was a really good, call them AAA, though. Like, Mario was a really great playing game, though. It was incredibly responsive for just what it was, how simple it was, you know? They didn't really have, like, the resources to have complex animations, though. Which is great, yeah. right? Isn't yeah. there something to say about complexity? A friend yeah. of mine sent me um i remember this really clear always anytime i talk about games and building games and wanting to make games is i'm a huge fan of doom like i grew up with that game that was my shit when i was younger like i played it so much that i thought um i had something wrong with my hand because it was like all jamming up so i was like oh what's wrong my my my, uh my mom was like dude yeah stop man but (laughs) that's how addicted i was to it but when you look at the levels of doom um, from a standpoint of ab- above, it's this mad maze. It's crazy. And, um, it's for exploration, right? And then you look at, like, um, we talked about Uncharted. I think it was actually an example of, of gate level gameplay, um, now and then. And it was like Doom was this crazy spiderweb puzzle thing. And then Uncharted was this, like, linear path, you know? And what do you, I mean, where do you stand on the side of these things? I mean, for me personally, I guess it's just, it's, it's different. Uncharted sounds like more like a, a Chris Nolan film or a Spielberg film where you're going through the thematic experience, whereas Doom is like, you are actually the dude in the movie, you know? Yeah. Well, Uncharted's like a, and, and The Last of Us are cinematic experiences. So it's this like story, but then there's these moments, it's broken up by these moments of like complex, um, gameplay, like, uh, with shooting mechanics and puzzles and all sorts of stuff. So you, it's like, it still has this, a lot of the same elements that a game like Doom has. They're just kind of laid out in a, in a more, I guess, linear fashion, um, and for me, uh, I like that game. I, I have a tendency to go more towards the more open, grindy games a little bit. 
Um, I played World of Warcraft for like 10 years. I'm kind of ashamed to admit it, but at the same time, I'm not. Uh, so, you know, that they're, they're what I tend towards. But like I said, if a, if a game has a really engaging story and it has, you know, really fun gameplay mechanics, which I thought the Uncharted series always did, um, then, yeah, I'm going to play that. Of course I would, because I love movies and I love games. So it's kind of a nice marriage of both of them. Sure. So there's no real right answer. I think it just depends on whatever the, the property is and how they execute it, I guess, huh? Yeah, well, some people don't like linear games, um, and so they probably never like... They like that feeling of exploration and of, of discovering stuff on their own, which I think you can have in linear games, and I certainly think that we have in ours, but um, some people just don't like them. Yeah, and there's so many different types of games that you're bound to have people that don't like some types or that prefer types over others, so I get it if people don't like them. Sure, you talked a bit about controllers and, and having access to them and stuff. What are you, um, you know, looking forward in the future? What is the controller in the future? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of like the growth of virtual technology and VR and all that kind of stuff. And um, I mean, what's your thoughts on that? And what, what's the ideal controller? Is there one? Is it, you know, there's is no controller the ideal controller? Is it fully um, an, an integrated kind of thought-based system? Or what is that? That would be so cool. <laughs> it's gonna happen. Yeah. So future. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course, I think I hope that's what happens. That we be, have these experiences that we can be fully like reboot level integrated. Into. That'd be great. Uh, yeah. Which yeah, that's what I hope it becomes. Realistically, uh, I don't know. You've seen so many changes in games in the past, like even five years. Uh, and how people are interfacing with games and even the thought of a controller you have a lot of people now playing mobile games and they've ported some older games like um they're not even that old but the first bioshock game uh they they put it on the ipad and i was playing it and it's interesting because the ipad is all touch based uh so the entire experience changes and i was thinking like oh this doesn't feel as good but then i realized well if i was a kid that was born now and i was born into using an ipad then this would probably feel really natural um and eventually a controller is going to feel clunky and and even going back and using like a you know, like some of the older console controllers, they feel so outdated, like they feel clunky and not as responsive. And it's like, I'm just, I'm aging. So, you know, yeah, I might like the controller, but a kid being born now is going to like whatever they're being given. So that's a good way of looking at it. Cause it is true, you know, and it's also a matter of what it is. Um, the key aspect of the tool, you know, at, at itself, you know, you, I don't know if you'd want to play more, maybe you'd want to play Mario brothers with your brain. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I would. That'd I think cool. that's amazing. <laughs> well, that's once you start doing that though, you slip the reality, you know, like you become the singularity of reality starts bending around, you know, cause then you're jumping through things. Um, in a wholly, totally different context, you know, where it's not, I think what, what makes video games interesting now, and they have been for the past, you know, since they, they were created is there's this thing, this, this device called a controller and it's, whether it's an, a touchscreen, iPad, iPhone, um, all the way to like Atari's controller, um, joystick kind of stuff. You have this, um, separation, basically, um, a hardware separation between yourself, your mind, your intentions and the actual game. But I'm wondering what, um, yeah, I'm curious, you know, there's been a lot of studies on like eye tracking, um, 
mood development. I mean, the, the, the Apple iWatch can judge your, um, your, your, I think it's your blood pressure based off of your skin pigment, um, the different tones and qualities of your skin pigment, I think. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So what if like, uh, you know, you can, you can play a game based off of like your, um, voice actions, but then also navigate with your eyes and then it can tell your intensity based on your pigment and stuff like that, you know, like more of a natural, um, sensational kind of experience would be really interesting. You know, I'm sure there's people that are already having to think about that because eventually we're going to, um, shed like the controller because it's going to be a hindrance, I think, you know, but yeah, well, like you can never be fully integrated with that, like it's you in a screen with a controller. I think the goal right now with VR and all these things that are coming out is to kind of break past that and integrate people a bit more. So it's just naturally going to go that way. Um, and then a lot of, like you said, a lot of the science already exists being used for things that aren't video games. Obviously um, yeah. there was an article about an artist uh, who was using his eye tracking to like draw, like they set him up with some crazy computer and, I'll have to find this now, but sure. it was, it I was I heard of that. crazy. He was, was he, a pretty famous comic artist, I think, who lost, um, he was disabled, right? Like he, he like got something happened to him. Was that when that guy? Yeah. Yeah. And so he was like using his like eyes to like, I don't know how someone would have the control to do this, like testament to this guy's mental control. Like, but he used his eyes and it like trans. I don't know. It was insane. It's probably it was- somebody looking at your art that doesn't draw. And it's probably the same thing. You know, it's like just taunt constant. We're pretty amazing creatures. If you think about it, um, the testament of time and how we, we etch our way through it, you know, to just to design the way that we work, you know, um, which is pretty fascinating, you know, just for me, I would be really difficult, but if all I had was my eyes to create, um, I would definitely do that, you know, um, I yeah, guess you could I, probably say like if we only had our hands and eyes and mouth and ears to create, you know, like I guess we can use that. But then there's so much more if you can think about it, you know, mind fuck. <laughs> I know future stuff. I love thinking about Matrix level future stuff. Yeah, I feel like we're really um, I'm, I'm excited. I feel that I'm really thankful and blessed and kind of in awe to be living in this era because uh, things are happening so rapidly. Um, it's almost too fast, but whatever. I think that's just the rate of exchange of information. But it's fascinating because I think we're. I might see the dawn of singularity or some kind of um, the transcendent of man in a sense. It would be really interesting to see that as far as a society. Because once you can use games as as a device for me personally to to help people, not games, but just interactive experiences to really help people's mental, uh, states, you know, it's not just like shooting people and stuff like that. No, not just put down certain games, but it's that, that only activates a certain type part of the brain. You know, there's so much more to tap into. And I'm really curious about that. You know, there's actually uh, a really cool company that's working with PBS to do, um, all again, I'll have to find a link to this, but they, um, they're doing educational games, um, and they're doing one on evolution right now, I think is the most recent one that they released. Uh, and I was talking to the guy who's kind of doing the design for this at where, what PAX, um, 
and his name I'm forgetting his name right now which makes me feel really bad oh, but, you sound like me I'm always forgetting yeah, stuff. <laughs> the most forgetful person uh, awesome. but it was such a great like it was such an exciting uh, thing to see that they could take and you know there's been lots of attempts like gamify school and gamify education but this is like they're they made a game out of like decoding proteins uh, which takes so much like time to, to decode massive proteins uh, so they turn it into a game like they put it online it's like this open source thing and people like go in and like they get points for figuring out what these um protein chains are and it's like what a friggin cool idea and then it's used to help like cure diseases and things that's so really cool crowdsourcing it and turning it into a game into data that's really cool i never heard yeah. of that that's a w- great way of utilizing people's abilities because i watch my wife she plays that candy crush game she's like totally like lethal <laughs> enemies like number one she's like <laughs> plays it all the time and i'm always thinking like man i wonder that'd be great i'm like hey how about you decode this protein all day how many do that <laughs> let's switch this game out with some fucking awesome de- protein de-stranding bullshit that'd be really interesting i have to look that up it would be great to see those links so i can check that out because that sounds like yeah. sony doing something like that a couple years ago with uh folding it home where like you would leave your ps3 on and it would like send your like processing power to some campus and like they would use your like processors to unfold proteins or something just like similar to that i think that's awesome i don't know if they did that but yeah if they did they're awesome that it was wasn't as much of a computer. game as it was just like <laughs> idling your your uh, playstation and looking at your, your chipotle up. porn pictures yeah <laughs> oh yeah that's a good sour cream right there <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's cool though i mean using utilizing that is a really that's a really smart and and a really cool way of doing it it's a, i wonder if there's a way of doing it where the production and feel and the essence of it is on the level of the last of us because the last of us was a tremendous success right financially as well right oh i have no idea you just like crushed I, it you don't want to know huh I, oh, damn i, I still so. get paid the same <laughs> <laughs> that's great though I, i've heard i've heard some numbers which is really nuts it's, it seems like is games are a huge risk for studios um because they cost so much more than let's say movies for example um but the reward is so massive i think um the market is completely different obviously from from movies are you into films much at all i'm not involved in them but i obviously love going to see them (laughs) yeah what's a good game what's a good movie to you like what are some of your favorites uh okay so most favorite ever is jurassic park (laughs) um but i really liked mad max fury road that i just uh, (laughs) good we should talk about that because andrew loves the shit out of that film well what do you not love it it was amazing there it had some. I don't know. I have to go watch it again. It was cool. Yeah, it was you cool. Do. So good. It's so good. Yeah, it was I, I think so what it is fun. is that it was. It was great, and I'm not trying to take anything away from it. I think, um, I think, and I'm going to insult and root and upset up probably a lot of people, but I think we're in a lull right now as far as with um, action films. I feel that. Um, like I said, people are going to be insulted by me, but like we have the Avengers and Avengers looks like PlayStation. I'm sorry, but it does. And it's just not, it's not, a, it's, they're not really good for me. I don't really like them too much and they don't do anything for me. And I feel that we're kind of, we don't have, we don't have a Terminator. We don't have those things anymore. And so um, the Mad Max was beautiful though. Like cinematically it was very vast and massive and it was, it felt 
like film because it was, I think, right. And it just, the, the essence of the, the, the world was really brilliant, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I have, I'll have lots to say about that movie, but I'm not, I think also, I think I feel like, um, I don't know what my problem is, but not everybody just starts, uh, freaking out about something and it's just mash piece. And it like getting in my face about it. I'm like, ah, you know, chill out, yo, chill out, you know. So. I get that. I get that because I didn't like Pacific Rim at all. And I made the horrible mistake of saying that on Twitter. Oh, God. And somebody <laughs> told me, someone just like attacked me over. He was like, he called me disingenuous, which I, I don't think he knows what that means. But it was like, <laughs> I just didn't like a movie. And I just said that. Like, yeah, that's it's all okay I did. not and, to like it. Yeah, And then I kind of learned a lesson of like, all right, well, it's kind of shitty to just rag on something like sure so i learned a lesson i don't really do that anymore but um yeah i just didn't get it i was like why is everyone freaked this movie i didn't like it yeah um, and people were so like obsessed that, and i was just trying to figure out like what did you see that i didn't because i didn't see this movie that you saw yes um and people were comparing it to Jurassic Park. So maybe Whoa. that's where <laughs> I was like, hang, hold the phone. Like Jurassic Park had some of those amazing practical everything um, in that yeah. movie. It's also Spielberg then, at his best. Uh, you know, yeah, like yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a unique, it's a very unique film. We don't have films like that anymore. Not even close, oh. you know. And that's kind of what I'm getting at here. It's like, uh, I think... Uh, the, I think the what happens for me is I'm constantly looking back at the classics. I'm constantly watching them and I'm going, this is a fucking great film. And not just because I'm nostalgic, but it, because it's fucking great. And I know it is. And I can back it up with like tons of arguments sake, you know, and I'm not saying that um, I think, I think George Miller and what he's done and how old he is and how he's accomplished this. I mean, it's, it's fucking phenomenal. And, and it, and I, you know, it was completely worth like the $20 or whatever it costs for me to go and sit in the theater and watch it a hundred percent. I would never say that anything against it. I really enjoyed it. I think it was great. Um, I just have to go watch it again. I think so. I, yeah. I wonder too, how much of it is. Cause I want, I think about this a lot. Uh, how much is nostalgia? Yes. Um, it's really blinding. I think about people talking about, the new Star Wars versus the old Star Wars. And it's like, if you were a kid, I feel like my my nephews really like the new Star Wars, the new three. Um, hmm. And I think they like the old ones too. But I think that when they came out, the biggest fans of that series just ragged so hard. Uh, to, and at that time, it would be like to their family and everything. And so it became kind of, you weren't allowed to like those. Like you, ha- you had to like the other ones. Yeah, of course. Uh, and but I think like you know in in like a completely separate vacuum world like kids of that time probably thought it was really cool like they're probably like yeah this is a great movie and I think about like stuff coming up now we always talk about Hook at work because it's like everybody's mm. favorite um, but some people that are just a bit older than us really hated that movie <laughs> and it's like Rufio. yeah Rufio. <laughs> who hates who hates Hook it's a yeah. wonderful movie but I can see that it's just nostalgia we were kids when yes. that came out and it was this magical amazing world and it's yep. you know somebody who was older than time is probably like oh that movie was stupid um sure and i get it because i think a lot of stuff now i just don't it's i don't get it like, i don't get it either yeah. yeah it's not aimed at me though it's it's aimed at a younger generation and maybe to them we were saying like mad max uh fury road it might be somebody's jurassic park like it might be some kids 
big thing that they'll remember forever and they'll say it's their favorite movie forever totally and it should be because it is a freaking great it's great it it is awesome and it's in and in in this day and age like there's only fuck a handful of directors that can pull that shit off you got christopher nolan and we got spielberg on a good day and we also have (laughs) uh peter jackson who's uh kind of but he's he goes into the cg realm a little too much i think and then um james cameron you know who else can pull off that big of a film that's just nuts it's really nuts and and it's really rare um it, i strongly advise like everybody no matter um my thoughts on it anybody asks me have you seen it? i say go see it in a theater you must because it's a thematic experience you have to you know it's pretty it's awesome definitely cool and i think the the point of nostalgia is really important it's it's something i like to talk about a lot on this show because it's very blinding you know and as far as for me constantly creating things i'm constantly trying to be aware of is this nostalgic am i just in love with the past and and what is that and is it wrong to be in love with the past is it is it okay and you know like um, you know, how, how can you give back? I'm constantly thinking to myself, like, well, what's my ghost in the shell? Like, what's my seven? What is my own thing? You know, what's my Jurassic Park, you know, and trying to figure out how to discover that. Um, it's very complicated, I think, you know? Yeah. I think nostalgia is an incredibly powerful thing because when we're kids, every experience is just so much bigger than what it is when you're older. And you crave that feeling of, wonder and amazement like i crave it in every game i'm always trying to find what playing final fantasy 7 for the first time felt like or what playing crash team racing felt like um and you can't because you didn't have any perspective back then you didn't have any worries you didn't have any you were a kid and and of course people you kind of crave that on some level or some moments from it maybe not the whole thing and so we were watching um my boyfriend John and I, we were watching Chef's Table, uh, oh, which is so an good. excellent show. Is that not like the greatest? Show? I get so hungry every time. I think we're getting uh, that director on the the show. Oh, right, I Andrew. Definitely gonna we're listen trying, to that. Yeah, we're working on it. Yeah, it's amazing. It's fucking great. Have you seen Jiro Dreams of Sushi? Yes. Yeah, it's um, so good. But all of them, all of those, every chef mentions their childhood and trying to channel some aspect of it yep and john and i were talking again about our art and uh when i was a kid i was really into disney movies i watched so many disney movies so many animated movies i i lived and breathed them um and then i played very cartoony games like spyro and um crash bandicoot and you know mario and those things at while he was you had him on your show john sweeney he's yeah, a course. concept artist um he was really into going to his friend spencer's house and playing things like siphon filter and hitman and <laughs> Doom. And he loved watching action movies um and so it really really shows because we're both trying to channel those moments and those times in our lives and the feeling that we had like when we first experienced that stuff and i think it defines us forever like people try to get away from it but i think on some level for creative people it's always that thing that you're trying to achieve like like you said what's gonna be my jurassic park um or my Lion King was my other one. I was obsessed with the Lion King. So yeah, I don't think we can escape it. I think it's good to acknowledge it and I'll let it fuel you. You know, I think just what I'm getting at is being aware of, of 
So like I'm creating this world called Lost Boy. And that's another thing about the the Mad Max thing. When I was cringing, when I was watching, I was like, how many of my toys do, am I going to lose by watching this basically? Because I have a similar world, completely different, but similar, you know, it's post-apocalyptic kind of idea. And so I was watching it cringing, like, what am I not going to be able to do after what George has done? Because I know he's doing it right, you know? And so, but also somebody was mentioning, oh, um, talking about like, oh, can't wait to see the next Akira like in referencing time talking about creating something unique and I, and I thought to myself I don't want to create the next Akira the only way to create the next Akira is to acknowledge it but to make your own thing and it has to be completely disconnected the core and essence has to be there but it has to be completely different in its own right you know and I think that's really difficult I can see a Pixar like how Pixar reinvented themselves basically they've taken the things that they loved about Disney films but brought into a different technology but what makes Pixar's films really great is the storytelling amongst many things obviously the, the worlds are beautiful and they look amazing but the stories really come together and like stories like up only come once in a while in film you know and they're very unique and the design of them yeah. I'm getting lost and rambling here, but what I'm saying is is being aware of your nostalgia of um your nostalgia blinding you from creating original things, you know, like oh, I really want to have this because it's like that, you know. It's like, well, I just want to have this thing because I want it to be this feeling, you know, that feeling. And I guess what we're doing is is kind of writing a love note to our first love, you know. That's yeah. what it is, you know. Yeah, and I think like you said where people kind of go wrong. And I think it's, it's actually Hollywood trying to sell nostalgia where it usually becomes just trying to repackage something. Um, like, you know, they they're rebooting, um, Terminator right now and they rebooted the Ninja Turtles and they reboot all these things, which I don't think there's anything wrong with catering those well-loved things to a new audience. Um, but a lot of people freak out about it because it's like, oh, that's my thing. It's a, you're not doing it right. You're not doing it exactly as I remember. <laughs> um, and that's not so much what I think I do or I, I try not to do that. It's more like you said that um, that feeling that you got from like watching it or looking at that stuff is like a very specific thing for, for all of us. And it's, it's always like a very nice, usually a very nice memory. Nostalgia is usually associated with. So it's just trying to like, yeah, capture that somehow. Um, for me, it's never an exact copy. I have no interest in like exactly doing Disney style. And I hope it doesn't come across in my work that way, but uh, it's definitely always there in the back of my mind as some sort of benchmark to it to like, that's the best. Yeah, well, you know, like Disney is a prime example of the early Disney, right? Um, is a prime example of a of an amazing company. Uh, oh yeah, it's just you really. Um, it's it's really crazy when I studied Walt Disney as a person, and I also study the actions and creation of that company all in all. And you know, you had the was it like the ten old men and all that kind of stuff going nine on? And was it nine of them? Yeah, yeah, nine old men and all that. Um, just really amazing. Uh, it's just, it's so unique. And so, you know, you have these people, these guys who, like when I was reading basically through your notes and you were articulating your, I think it was a, a Mowgli drawing and you were kind of the way you were, I think it was the way that you had his like right foot on the ground, but his toes were lifted. And I instantly thought to myself, like, 
that's something that a person that knows that character knows that he would do that. And you would have to infuse that because you'd say, oh, well, Mowgli's very light-footed and he's very playful and boy and just childish. And so his toes wouldn't be full form and mounted on the ground. It would be, his toes would be lifting. And all these little things were coming to my mind when I was looking at that. It's weird what art does, too. It kind of con- conveys so many different things. You probably didn't, I don't know, maybe you noticed that or you thought of it, but... Um, when I was thinking about Disney, for example, and when they infuse life into line drawings over sequential art, it's just, for me, it's fascinating because they're bringing life to something that's has no life, basically, at the time and, and infusing personality um, and really paying attention to what that was. And I mean, one of my all-time favorite animations to this day is Alice in Wonderland. It's brilliant. It's just a masterpiece animation and story and just the way it's used. And it's just amazing that it was created. But um, yeah, it's very it's nostalgic beautiful. too, though. Like that, I would, I would watch uh, Alice in Wonderland for months on end every night before I go to bed and just have it play until I fell asleep. And it was just the weirdest shit that would go on in my head when I dream. <laughs> it's, it's such a fun narrative experience, you know? So, yeah, I think more than anything, more than any other company, um, kind of in entertainment, Disney was really open about how they approach, um, drawing and how they approach thinking about things to, to animate them. There's a beautiful book called um, The Illusion of Life that was written yeah. by two of those nine old men. And I, I've read that. Uh, I, I own that. It's an incredible book for anybody, not just the animators, anyone who's interested in drawing. But talking about feeling through a character and feeling feeling through a pose, like um, it was just invaluable information learning how to draw and then all their art of books i i am currently my my current obsession is to own all of their art of books uh and some of them are pretty expensive so yes, it's gonna be they get slow, really expensive yeah the some illusion of, them of life is pretty them. expensive i think too from the last time i remember it was like 200 dollars or something on amazon no it's, it's gone way down like, yeah, i think it's, they, it's I think they reprinted it oh they did so it's, oh yeah, yeah it's, it's like a 30 bucks price now oh, buttery okay i'm getting it Oh yeah, it's a perfect. It's book. so good. It's huge too. It's like yeah. five hundred pages or something. Crazy. I love those there- books and I hate them too because I try to read a lot of this stuff in bed and it like it kills my freaking legs. I'm like, oh dude, <laughs> yeah, the Star Wars book is like four hundred pounds. Like, get out of here, fucking George. She's <laughs> heavy as hell. But that's awesome. Yeah, it's a huge book. It's not a read in bed book for sure. It's like a textbook. But um, yeah, the information in there is just amazing. They were so good at explaining it too. And I think it's because they had to, like they developed a lot of this stuff within the studio. And so the main guys had to teach everyone else these concepts. Um, and so they had to get pretty good at explaining how to do it. Uh, and it really comes out in that book. And then there's another one, there's a lecture series, two books called Drawn to Life yeah. by a guy named Walt Stanchfield, I think his name is, who taught he taught at Disney in like the eighties, I think, or the seventies maybe, but, um, that's another super invaluable book that does the same thing. Like talks about, um, injecting character and thinking about the character while you're drawing it and thinking about it while you're drawing the shapes and everything. I got uh, that one. I got it. Yeah. Give me some more. What do you got? I love book porn. It's the best. Oh my God. I, okay. So I consider myself a bit of a minimalist, but I have so many books like, and I just can't get rid of any of them because I'll just like, I just, I buy them. Wait, like I, I need to ban myself from Amazon because I'll go on Amazon (laughs) and I'll just buy everything. My wife's got me on a, like a monthly retainer. 
It's just like, yeah. dude, you better not spend over. I have like, I can spend like 150 bucks a month or something. Oh, after John's that, just as bad as me though. We're both really bad about it. <laughs> he loves them too. And so he, he just bought a bunch of awesome Jerome books, I think. But, uh, all of the art of books are my, I love the art of up. You mentioned, yeah, up, and all the I Pixar stuff is great. That, that book has just in the very like first page, I think they have a little, they're just tiny little drawings that somebody at their studio did on napkins. So good. And it's like a circle for Doug and a square for Carl and like a circle, a little like oval shape for the kid. And they talked about how like Carl's on moving. So shapes are mostly square. And it's like, Oh my God, that's so genius. Like what a genius thing. And it's such, it's one of those things that's really obvious but it wasn't obviously because I wasn't doing it, um, and so yeah. Now I always reference that, uh, and I'll like just take I'll take it out, and I'm looking at <laughs> literally it was like circles, uh, but I still take it out and look at it because yep. I feel like for some reason it's it's doing something to actively read it. And well, look you're at a designer it. as well. I think it activates that designer side of your mind that acknowledges that form is so essential. And yeah. if you can bring meaning and then define it in the most simplest ways that it's hidden, that's the poetry. And I think that's what you're talking about with the gameplay and stuff where it's just kind of hidden there. It's there. You don't realize it. you're experiencing it, you know, and then yeah. not until later do you understand like, oh, yeah, that's true. I was using that or that was pretty brilliant or that was a really amazing idea. Yeah, yeah. it is so difficult to simplify things. I think that it's probably one of the hardest things because you have this. I I don't know about other people, but I have this tendency to just get so caught up in like in detail and everything. And I just lose track of like the simplicity. Um, and I always have to bring myself back. Like it's, it's much harder for me to simplify things than it is to try to get in there and, and detail stuff out. Yeah. In the same Um, way. I have a hard time. Um, like you mentioned it in your, in your drawing process and it's great to, I I love it because I oftentimes I'm sure a lot of people are listening to this, that you're, you go on creating something and you don't realize that the people, the things that you see, they look like they're completely finished and you get, you get the final outcome, but you don't realize that it's a complete process and it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of um, different stages. And it was really cool that you shared that. I try to share that stuff too when I can, because it's just, I think it's essential to show people that, you know, you're not alone. This is, we're all kind of sharing the same experience. It's kind of, it is very difficult and it's hard at times you get completely lost or distracted. I have a hard time with that. And when I'm drawing, I have to be completely focused. If I'm not, then I'm just, it just, I hate it at the end of it. I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> I yeah. get totally lost and what it is that I'm going after and stuff. And I can't listen to music or anything when I'm drawing. Oh, really? I'm one wow. of those weird people. Like I can listen to music that doesn't have words. So I can listen to instrumental, but oh, I yeah. can't, I can't listen to stuff with words. It like really distracts me. I think something about my brain just like needs to do the one thing. And it's even worse if I'm doing UI, like I, I need silence around me to do it. Sure. It's, um, in, it's intensely thinking about design and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're trying with, 
doing UI, you're thinking through the gameplay without having it. So it's a lot of like being in your own head, being like, okay, like what's going to happen if I do this? Uh, So yeah, if there's like distracting stuff around me, it gets, it gets to be a bit too much. Um, How how essential do you think it is to work in your head? Because that's been a concept that I've been really um, focusing on my personal self. Um, And I found tremendous amount of growth in my efficiency by working in my head first, which is like taking walks or um, really thinking about things prior to doing it it is super important for me uh i and again it's one of those things that people would say things like oh just like like sketch just go out and like sketch everything and i find that that is really helpful for me for different things though not for trying to do a single piece like so if i have a piece in mind I'll think through the entire process before I ever do anything. Like I'll sit here and I'll think, okay, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to, and like, I just like, I'll just lay there like seemingly doing nothing. Uh, but I'm like thinking through every step I'm going to take and I don't write it down or anything. It's just a matter of going through it in my head, having this mental checklist. Like, did you, if something goes wrong, then I can be like, Oh, did I do that yet? And then kind of go back and backtrack. Um, I think more than anything with the Mowgli thing, I was trying to show people that processes are really unique and they're kind of developed over time. And and some things work for some people. Our brains are all so different uh, based on so many factors that what works for one person is not guaranteed to work for everybody. Um, Yeah. And I got really caught up in seeing other people's rough sketches that looked so much better than mine uh and it wasn't until i just let that go that i started um and accepted like i'm different i'm a different artist than this person that's beautiful that's the moment you actually um become an artist i think uh personally i've been hitting that wall lately and it was i had a really great talk with a close friend of mine today and uh he was saying that we were talking about this exact same thing. And I think that's a really, I think that's beautiful because that's really the moment that you accept that you are who you are and you can't necessarily be this other person as much as you'd like to. Um, it's the beauty of it is that you can be your own self by creating that. And the world doesn't want another replication. They want you, I think, you know, and whether that you realize it or they realize it, um, sometimes people are lucky enough to have success in this life. And sometimes, unfortunately for others, they don't get it in this past. But, um, I think that's really the beauty, you know? Yeah. And I think it's very freeing to realize that too. I still have my hangups sure. and I'll definitely still look at people's work and be like, Oh my God, I really wish my art was like Corey Loftus's. Like, hmm. I don't know if you know that guy, but his work is excellent. Um, yeah. I've seen some of it. Yeah. Uh, or whoever it is that I'm looking at that day. And so a thing that I've found has been really kind of useful for me is I'll, I'll look at their work and then I'll do a piece that I, I never post Hmm. that is just kind of inspired by them. Uh, and then I'll inevitably not do it anywhere as good because that's his thing that he's been doing. It's his way of doing stuff, but I'll learn something from it. Like I tried doing a photo bash piece and I did it right to completion and I, I don't think I'd ever post it, but I learned so much in that process that I could then kind of apply to my own in a, in a different way. Hmm. Uh, and so I've been, I find that I'm allowing myself to do that more now that I've kind of accepted 
my own process and how I approach things is like, okay, now that I know this is how my work looks and this is how I do it, I can try all these other things and not have really high expectations of myself. Like, I know I'm probably not going to do very good at it, but I'll learn something from it that I can apply to what I do do well. Um, And so that's been awesome for me lately. That's really cool. That's good to know. And it's cool to see, um, I I guess it's like a, it's a journey, right? It's it's a kind of like a, not to sound uh, like hippie ish, but it's like the journey of the soul or you're kind of taking your way, your, 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 you're going through these different experiences, you know, um, and whether it's good or not, and you going through them and exchanging your energy and and analyzing and self-reflecting. I often think that art itself is a constant self-reflection and what you infuse in it is, uh, whether you know it or not is, is like a reflection of your own internal self, whether it's your nostalgic person that's stuck on the romantic qualities of your childhood, or you are trying to convey some higher level thinking for somebody's, you know, to, to, to experience something out of the viewing your, your work, you know, there's so many different passages from it, but the journey of it, it's really fascinating. Every artist has their own thing. And just like you said, the process is, is so different from everybody. But I think there's a similarity there that from at least from my own self, when I saw yours, it's like, Hey, that's how I work too. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of rough and it doesn't make much sense. And I, I'm the same way. I could go out and draw the world. I could draw everything. It's like, I can make a bunch of sketchbooks and draw trees and stuff. Okay, cool. But what really gets me excited, what like keeps me up until four or five in the morning is the shit that pours out of my head and I'm just jamming along and having fun. And I feel like a kid, you know? Yeah. Story driven stuff is big for me, especially lately. Um, I love thinking through like stories and then trying to illustrate things that I think convey that character or that, that moment. Um, it's such a great challenge and I kind of realized slowly it's taking me a a while to realize this, that it was never, I always thought it was just drawing that I was interested in, but it was actually more kind of storytelling, uh, and maybe even like writing on some level. Uh, and then I look back at my childhood and it's like, oh yeah, I spent the vast majority of my time reading. I wasn't necessarily always drawing. So hmm. it's these funny things that have kind of like, you progress, you progress, you progress. And you're like, oh, it's actually story driven stuff that I'm interested in. It's not just nice pictures. And then your work kind of shifts in that direction and constantly changing and realizing stuff about yourself while you, while I work anyway. That's really cool. That's cool that you acknowledge that and understand that because, yeah, I mean, so it's more like you're interested in the visual storytelling puzzle kind of piece of it and bringing a character to life. Like, oh, Alice is this petite young girl and so she's going to wear this dress and she's going to have, it's going to be blue because it's like pure and clear as the sky and giving those kind of qualities and stuff. I find that to be fascinating too. Because you're painting the, the story basically um, with little hints and cues. And I, I suppose, like you said, the up book with the square circle um, concept is like, wow, that's so simple. It's probably the fuse, the fusion of all the things that you like probably in one. <laughs> it's like a circle and a square and an oval, you know, which is probably, yeah. which is beautiful. What it is, the simplicity of it, you know, are you familiar with Dieter Rams and all that stuff? Who? Sorry. Dieter Rams. Are you familiar with him? maybe not the name oh cool i think you would really like him check him out um Do I, won't, it right now. <laughs> I won't say much more beyond that just look up like Dieter rams like rules on design or something like that i think you'll really enjoy those he's got i think like um kind of like a um 
he, he's this guy that um, John Ives, like the lead designer for Apple, is um, a huge fan of. Um, but he's kind of um, been a huge inspiration for Apple, basically. But his whole mantra is like, you know, like good design is no design. Like good design is function design, and like all these things, basically, kind of distilling down what design should be to his own interpretation. You know, which is fascinating because it actually really reigns true if you understand where he's coming from, you know, so, and infusing that into everything else, like you said, the square circle oval, you know, and the brilliance of up as a film and a story in itself is just, it's a brilliant film. I love it. I can always watch that film. That's how I know I love it. And it's brilliant too. So yeah, I'll cry through most of it, but um, yeah, yeah. You know, you have a quote unquote children's film with a scene that has no, dialogue and it'll make everybody cry especially adults because it's so rel- it's so it's just master storytelling just master level you know oh yeah it's i was magic in, like i was in awe of that movie of everything about it the design the story it was funny because in front of me during that scene which i won't spoil even though it's been years <laughs> um, <laughs> uh actually i might spoil it i'm sorry i'm gonna spoiler turn this alert. off right now yeah spoiler alert if you haven't seen up by the way like yeah where what the hell yeah what the hell what's wrong with you <laughs> Um, why are you listening to a podcast about art stuff if you haven't seen Up yet? Has shame um, on you. So <laughs> I'm shaming non-Up viewers. Yes, uh, I'm down. Let's go for it. The in front of me after that scene, so I'm a mess, like ugly face, crying, <laughs> notebook, crying, like that level. Um, and there's this little girl in front of me, and she's so confused. She's like four and i don't think her uh, dad yeah. was expecting to have a conversation with her about death this day but they had to have that conversation in front of me uh, uh because she was like i just don't get it like what's wrong what happened where is she and so the dad had to like really quickly whisper to her what happened and she was just like beside herself upset at this <laughs> concept what a like Speaking of like children and like weird experiences and the nostalgia, it's like what a friggin' momentous moment for that little girl. Like, yeah, had a movie with her dad and learns that she's not gonna live forever. Like, <laughs> <messed> <laughs> yeah, uh, Pixar, damn you, Pixar. <laughs> I know. I remember thinking like, oh god, they should have warned this poor dad not to bring his four-year-old to this movie. Seriously, uh, yeah. but it was awesome. I'm sure she made it through. I'm sure she's doing well. I hope so. She and she, you know, it's just like up eased her into life's reality. So, you know, it could have been a lot worse. She could have saw like uh, faces of death or something. Yeah. <laughs> Find your older brother's video of faces of death and see somebody get mauled or something. Oh, damn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Turn on a video game. Childhood. My childhood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's definitely. Um, I really love Pixar. I was really, uh, I recently went up there and was able to visit the studio and like, I got to sit like in like the theater where they do dailies and stuff. And it was just so cool. I'm like, wow, I bet John Lasseter farted in this chair. And I was like, oh, it's so cool. Like, awesome. So I farted. It. Yeah. Like, so I just got up and I just started smelling the seat all feverishly soaking it in. Yep. <laughs> That's I would do the same, or have a competitive fart like you did. I yeah, well, you I need think... your like you need to feel like some part of you is being left there in the air, and they're gonna breathe it. I get it. <laughs> it's like leaving my art mark, fart yeah. fartsy art marks in Pixar. It's totally 
Awesome. Now it was, really- it, was <laughs> it was really cool. It was really cool being there and the energy of that place and just knowing um, the pressure those guys are under um, and just you know trying to follow these masterpieces really and knowing what's against them. And um, I wasn't a huge fan. I was. What's the last one? Was it Braid? I think or Monsters University was one of the last ones. I think and I really enjoyed that. That was Um, awesome. I liked that one a lot. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, you can't beat the first one, but I think that's also a nostalgia speaking. They're both really wonderful for their own reasons and stuff. So, um, but I'm just, I'm just wondering what is next for them because, you know, the moment they start doing ones and twos and threes and fours, it's like, um, yeah, I'm I'm sure they're going to keep making amazing stuff. I'm just excited to consume it basically, you know, so. Yeah, I think Inside Out is the next one, and that looks really good. That's the one about uh, the little girl's emotions. Um, So I'm pretty excited for that one. And then The Good Dinosaur, obviously, it's got dinosaurs in it, so it's going to be the best thing ever. Um, Oh, dang. Land Before Time in the 3D. Yeah. (laughs) As long as they don't ruin it like they did with The Land Before Time and make like a thousand sequels. Oh, God, that was horrible. Uh, I didn't watch them, whatever. I'm sure, again, there's some kid out there that probably... Like, think about that. There's probably a kid in this world who prefers Land of the Time fo- Land Before Time 5 to, like, the original Land Before Time. That person that shouldn't... Exists. No, there's don't... There's probably multiple... You're I fucking these in my people, head. That person doesn't know, exist. They're real. <laughs> I follow all these young, amazing artists on Tumblr, and they're, like, 18, like, 17. And the things they're nostalgic for are, like... The sweet life of Zach and Cody, and like all this, what the like, fuck? like Miley Cyrus's <laughs> Hannah Montana show, and I'm like, what? Wow, like that's that's what they're nostalgic for. That's what they had. I guess we had like younger. Fresh Prince of Bel Air, so I guess it's not that much different. Yeah, and somebody out there is like, oh god, that's <laughs> uh, true. Isn't that weird? Like I see them post about it, and I'm like, oh, no. oh, okay, how, okay. Uh. I guess. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's hard. You got to not judge, I guess, you know, so, or you can judge and just be an ass about it. So <laughs> it's no, difficult I, though. I accept, I accept that I'm older than they are. And so we have different tastes. The best all taste. Yeah, it's true. It I, is true. Fuck. I yeah. come from the eighties. That's when shit started. The party started in the eighties. So I'm proud of yeah. it. <laughs> I was, I think six when the eighties ended as five when the eighties ended. So I didn't really, I lived then, but I didn't really live. In the let's 80s. just, yeah, I was seven. So let's just, come on, let's, this is, we're eighties kids. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to live in the eighties, okay, yeah, but the nineties yeah. also had some cool stuff, but yeah. The nineties was kind of, so John and I talk about this a lot too. The eighties was kind of like 85 to 95, like decades aren't really from like yeah. year zero to, to nine. They're kind of like, scattered well what defines Um, that are you guys what what to you guys what defines that all right so john's definition of the 80s is like um american psycho like everything's like black and white and like really graphic patrick nagel you know that guy that artist do you know patrick nagel it's often seen in nail salons yes Uh, yes i know who you're talking about yeah Uh, they're so, like touching themselves with like Libra patterns and shit. Yeah. Like yes. Andrew Archer stuff. Yeah, yeah. Andrew Archer stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's awesome. Actually, I had no appreciation for him until I met John. So it's, it's really cool stuff. But that's his 80s, which is actually later 80s and into the 90s. Um, and then I think, because I remember my aunt's 
back then being like with the headbands and the Farrah Fawcett uh, hair yeah. and like the, <laughs> like the neon earrings that are made out of plastic. Uh, the, so the, that's the kind of what I watch. Yeah. The high, the high socks, like the workout gear, all yeah, that shit. Yeah. I think of the very kind of ugly eighties, I think. Cause like he, he showed me a beautiful eighties, very aesthetically pleasing 80s but that's not what i had in my mind when i thought about the 80s it was very like, <laughs> neon and disgusting so well like 80s gave us star wars it gave us so many of these like also i think terminator was in that too i'm not sure i think yeah. it got the tail end of it i think we had blade runner and then too was it eight, blade runner 80s or 70s i can't remember now 70s i'm pretty sure i thought Damn it was 81 81 okay just made it in yeah 82 oh in your face <laughs> suck at 70s kids you guys suck <laughs> what's i mean what's the 70s then what do we got from the 70s star wars with 70s it's the first star wars but yeah we all know what's the best one that's that you know and that was that was the year <laughs> that I was born that's right 83 but i'm trying to think of what else we had i mean the 90s all we had we had tim burton's batman and all these other things too so <laughs> <laughs> what the heck a detriment to the 90s Andrew was born like two Andrew. years ago so he doesn't know <laughs> no, I didn't really like the Tim Burton's Batman oh, I, you I guys. much prefer the newer ones they were so goofy like. oh they're super God. goofy yeah they're super campy but I grew up with it so it's the nostalgia I mean come on you can't touch that Batman that Batmobile that's your land before time dude. <laughs> <laughs> fuck off you guys don't team up on me come on that Batmobile is so sick that, bat, that, that Batmobile. What? It is a pretty sick Batmobile. That, but the rest of the movie is not sick. Okay, well... I think we, every Batmobile is pretty cool, though. Like, he always has a cool Batmobile. Yeah, like, no, any of the movies. Not the Arnold one. That one was fucking... What the hell were they... It looked like a... Like a um, it looked like an ice machine or something. I don't know what was going on with that thing. I, I didn't like that one at all. They're, they're, that's true, though. They didn't really mess up the Batmobile. Well, the first one was like a car with a bat sign on it which was pretty whack. But then they got budget and then they were like, okay, but the, t- like, how about the one with the penguin and uh Catwoman? That was weird and fucking dark as shit. He's all eating fish and he's all got a huge, like nasty butt and he's shitting blood out of his mouth and just all super fucked up. I mean, living underneath the city, that's fucking cool. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, no, it was so campy. Stuff super stuff campy. Nineties is. I think the seventies had Indiana Jones, didn't it? Oh, the that's movie. true. That's yep. a that's a classic. You can't touch yeah. that. That's uh, man. That was when Spielberg was hungry. Yeah. Yeah, and they also had like Lawrence of Arabia. I think was like. No, that's like sixties, right? Sixties, I think. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. Do you guys watch that? That's a long ass film. That is. I haven't long. seen it. Uh, John was saying the. Like the Godfather, that's seventies. What's up, and, John? Oh, John, hi, John. Get <laughs> off our podcast, hi. you tension whore. <laughs> he is. You already had a podcast. Yeah, get out of here, you fucker. <laughs> <laughs> He's always want to say hello. Can uh, <laughs> you get on this episode? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> he needs credit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we had to put him in there. Fucking yeah, damn. I guess Andrew, you got to put him in the show notes. Special All guest, right. special guest, shout out to Godfather. Guest starring. <laughs> special <laughs> guest, John listened to us and, t- and like cutting in. Oh, he also said Clint Eastwood movies. Oh, There's yeah. Dirty Harry true, back true. then. You, the Sergio um, Leone films are fucking amazing. Love those. Those are really good. Yeah, he's sitting next to me painting right now. So oh. we have like, our desks are like right next to each other. That's awesome. That's super amazingly nerdy and romantic at the same time. 
That's really cool. How does that work for you guys, your relationship being so close and like you guys having different skill sets, both amazing, but having your kind of different kind of aesthetically, I guess, like you said, you described it like he he while he was off playing siphon filter, you were playing. I don't know. You say, what did you say? Your Spyro and Crash Bandicoot. And yeah. Stylized looking stuff. Stylized um, stuff. It's really cool, actually. John and I, uh, you know, it, it, at first we were worried about dating someone from work. That's always, you know, we spend a lot of time there, but we don't actually see each other during the day. Oh, okay. uh, he sits in another section and, um, you know, I'll go over and I'll get feedback from him. Uh, he's one of my favorite artists, so I like getting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh. So I like getting his feedback, uh, and it's interesting that we have very different styles because I think that we learn a lot from each other. Because yeah. um, uh, his approach is very realistic. He had a you know a very solid art school foundation. Uh, really knows his like basic foundation skills really, really well, much better than I do. Um, and so I rely pretty heavily on him for that. And then he'll talk to me. We'll, we'll have conversations about storytelling and cinematography and stuff like that. So I don't know. I personally feel it's, it works really, really well. And we try really hard. We, we had to make a pact to not talk about work. Oh yeah. That's good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Together. I have to do with my wife. Yeah. It's tough, man. Yeah, because, you know, we're there all day and, you know, sometimes he'll be having a bad day and I'll be having a good day or vice versa. And so it's like we just had to kind of agree, like, let's not talk about work and just, yeah, talk about other stuff. And just tough when work's everything. (laughs) I know you spend a lot of time and especially we're both really passionate about games and and art and the projects we're working on so as you know when you're passionate about something you have like really high highs and really low lows um uh, yeah it is so it it can be hard to kind of reel that in um but yeah it's great it's it's really nice being next to him too uh at our home desk because at home we just do personal work uh like sometimes he'll do freelance but i'm just doing personal work so we can just like look at each other's stuff um, and give feedback and stuff. It's really cool. Oh, you guys are like the freaking perfect art couple. It's bastards. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really cool. And it's really awesome that you guys have figured it out. I, I know of some friends that, um, uh, had, didn't have the best success with having multi artists cause there's ego involved and, you know, and one person's killing it while the other one isn't. It's there. It's really complicated, you know? And, and, uh, but at the same time, like, that's really cool that, uh, you guys are finding your balance between it. Cause, uh, relationships are at the core from my understanding. I'm married for five years. It's still a noob, but I'm working it out every day, <laughs> learning it, but it's all communication and it's a design of communication, um, at different realms. And obviously like women, you guys are fucking nuts and I have no clue how you guys work still. <laughs> I was raised by one. <laughs> Uh, and, 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 and I have a daughter and I have my wife and I still don't understand how you guys work, but usually it's a lot of nodding my head and I understand. I say that a lot of times or repeat that quite a few times. And then I go, yeah, I know. And say, I love you. And, and I just, yeah, <laughs> that seems to work good though. Usually. Yeah. John and I, I, I think that we are both very uh, even personalities. Like we, we don't 
really ever fight about anything either so that that's a big part of it like artists are not i find a lot of artists are super volatile um <laughs> and i've i've had that in the past too and I'm, i've become better at kind of controlling a lot of that but um like we get very emotional because you're passionate about everything yes uh but john and i work really really well together in that regard so i think that's a huge part of it also our styles are so different um We've definitely had moments like he'll give me a critique and I'm like in a bad mood and I'll be like, no. And then like I quickly realize like, oh, it's just my ego. Like, <laughs> That's awesome. You, you mentioned ego and I think every artist has an out of control ego. Like we all have it. I think um, you kind of have to, right? Yeah, it's part of the do. ingredient. Yeah, yeah. You, you need to feel good about yourself sometimes like because it's mostly just beating the crap out of yourself. Um, and so I think that that's something that Naughty Dog taught me uh, pretty quickly is like, I do have an ego. It gets out of control sometimes. Um, and I need to like, I, I, I used to, in my past jobs, I would just instantly respond. Like it just came out uh, or it'd be in my face. Like they, one of my old producers used to tell me that I had my face on, like my, I don't like your idea face. Uh, and I had one of those. It, it was like, Naughty Dog kind of put me in check with a lot of that. And then it didn't even actively do it. Like nobody said anything to me or anything, but Hmm. it was like, I really admire all these people that I work with and I want to keep working here and just kind of a lot of self-reflection. And yeah, I, I have an ego and I know it's one of those things that when you're younger, you deny, you're like, no, I I don't, I'm really humble. And (laughs) no, none of us are. I think when people use say the ego thing is it's always wrongfully. uh, I mean, it's obviously it's, it can be seen as bad, but at the same time, it's a part of the equation, you know, and knowing that and understanding that, um, that is a part of the ingredient that it's like cooking with oil. Like you have to use oil so it doesn't stick to the pan. It's part of the ego. It's like part of like the cooking process. It's not healthy and best for you, but it's a part of the process almost, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So when you say like, are you sick of talking about the last one? It's like, no, man, that strokes me. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Keep going, Andrew. Just keep stroking. There you go. Oh, I don't know. It reminds That's me of we- my first bite of Chipotle. It's so perfect. <laughs> ah. Hey, what, what do you, can you remember the first, your first Chipotle? Uh, I know exactly when it was embarrassingly enough. And I, it's, it's stupid because I had like happened to take a selfie just like to show somebody (laughs) my new haircut by coincidence, the first time I was ever in Chipotle. So I have it saved on my phone still and it has the date. Do you put it on the Chipotle life website? I can. (laughs) Let's find out. I'll look up the date right now. Your first date with Chipotle. I have to tell you that I really don't like Chipotle, and I'm really sorry that I didn't get this off my chest. I really don't like Chipotle. All right, this podcast is over. (laughs) Three-year anniversary just passed. It was May 12th. Oh, man. That's okay. See, Andrew doesn't care. He's so in love with it. Yeah, I don't even try to convince people to like Chipotle. Like, if you don't like it, I'm sure there's some good reason. Like, I used to date a girl who, like, got food poisoning from Chipotle once, and she never ate it again. (laughs) So I was just like, all right, I just won't eat Chipotle with you. But it's like, I don't know. John loves it. He still eats it. He doesn't care that I don't like it. I just get something else. He's all, let's put some Jurassic Park on, eat some Chipotle balls. Yeah. Sounds like a good day. (laughs) Sounds like a good day. What is it? What what is it about uh, Jurassic Park? What is the the defining thing that you know that's just like, this is why this is my favorite film? What is it? Uh, It's the scene with... 
uh, well, it's everything, but the, <laughs> it's, the, it's the T-Rex. It's when the T-Rex bursts out through the thing, hmm. when the when the power grid goes down, and you, you know it's coming. They've yes. been very clearly foreshadowing that this T-Rex is going to bust some shit out. And he, like, gets out, and he just rips shit up, and I was like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. And I, I think part of it, too, it's, it's one of two movies that my dad took me to. Hmm. He wasn't big on going to movies. Um, he's like a six foot three, very stern Greek man. Uh, so he took me to see Jurassic Park, and then he also took me to see Apollo thirteen. Those are the two oh, movies cool. that he ever took me to. Uh, and and that one is just it. It's just, everything about it's perfect. Yeah. The Gallimimus scene, and that was CG. Can we just talk about how? They did such a better job of CG back then. Like when it, it ate Newman, so is it that better? that thing? Is no, that no, no. The Gallimimus, the the dudes running. The the scene where like the the dinosaurs are running uh, through the field, yeah, 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 and then yeah, the T Rex yeah. comes. So I watched Jurassic Park, best movie of all time, and then right after <laughs> I watched the two thousand Godzilla, one of the worst movies of all oh, time. Oh man! And I think that the main thing that makes it so bad is it's all really crappy CG, and yeah. I was like wow, like they did, this was like, what would what, that have been? Eight years, seven years difference between 2000 and was it 1993, I guess, that Jurassic Park came out. Yeah. And it's like, how on earth is the CG so much better? They pick like, and choose what they're doing, I think, though, too. Yeah. And I think also like, um, you know, uh, dinosaurs, right? I mean, we've been fascinated by them for so long and there's so much visual information that there was a lot to be based on. But you're saying King Kong, right? No, no, no. The Godzilla. Oh. Godzilla. There was that Jamiroquai song at the end. <laughs> it was... <laughs> Fuck. Which I like that Jamiroquai song. Is it song Virtual Insanity? Yes, yeah. Oh, okay, well, you can't good. touch that song. But that's... No, yeah, it's a good it's song. still like, why would you put that at the end of Godzilla? <laughs> was that the Godzilla where the dinosaurs slipped on the gumballs? Oh, no, not that one. Is that no. it? I, I don't think remember. it was. I don't know. Is it's it, the one where there's Peter the Jackson did it, right? No. That was King <laughs> no, Kong. No. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Ferris Bueller's in it. The guy who yeah. plays Ferris Bueller. Oh, is no. Um, and it's like there's a building and then all the little baby Godzilla's hatching. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> my God. That was the gumball scene. <laughs> oh, it no. Was so, it was not, it's not a good movie. I'm sorry. Like, if you like that movie, I'm really sorry. You were probably born somewhere around that time and it's your nostalgia thing, but... Yeah, it's just, it does nothing on Jurassic Park. I yeah. watched it back-to-back on purpose because it's kind of a dinosaur. It's like <laughs> big wizard thing. So. Yeah. When's that's... the last time you watched Jurassic Park? Uh, Three hours ago. Yeah. <laughs> it was the last time. I, I'm, I'm going to marathon them again. I made the terrible mistake. We watched Jurassic Park 3 recently. It's so uh, not good. It's not, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. It, but Jurassic Park 2 is all right. It has like, some it's points. Awful. Man, that fucking scene, I'm not sure if it's, I think it's 2. One of those with the with the trailer that goes off the edge and she That's falls. That's 2, in. yeah. Oh, fuck, two. that shit is fucking good. I remember I seeing that as a kid. I lot. I nearly shat myself when I was in the theater, like, that whole yeah. i mean spielberg he is just when he's doing it right he there nobody can touch him man he is just on another level uh master storytelling film wise it's just like you said when the t-rex comes in and you hear the wires break and that snap and he, it doesn't go like i think nowadays you you'd have a film 
make her be like, it just jumps on it and starts fucking fucking the truck and farting and yeah, and, it's, and it goes and, and like everything boom. turns around and, slow and you have that motion. Hans Zimmer Inception, and the, yeah, and then whoop whoop dubsteps and, uh, and it's like, dude, what the fuck? But no, which, you yeah, don't she do goes, that. Where's the goat? And then it just lands and you're yes. like, it's done. The goat is dead, and you're you guys dead. are dead too, dead. exactly. Like, uh, and also in the in the second one when she falls and the glass is shattering away from her yes, fingertips. The fingertip that, shot, yep. I felt that. I felt that in my fingertips. Yep. I was like, oh God, that'd be the scariest shit ever. That's icon that's iconic filmmaking. And I think the you know, you can you can get that experience if you study um like uh his work on Indiana Jones, he does the same kind of things where he he tells you a story by not telling you things but when he reveals it it's totally worth it because he reveals it in full form and i think when you talk about jurassic park and i agree with you i love it um i it it has a lot of funny inconsistencies but spielberg never i don't think he's ever cared about that he's about that final film experience you know and i'll have to go through it and watch it again um i'm just putting it on my phone so i could watch it when i go to sleep tonight actually because i'm all pumped up to watch it again um you know what other one you have to watch is uh that i was watching recently was et oh Uh, i love that film that's that's like the underappreciated spielberg film oh it's amazing it's amazing watching it for character design of all things because Mm. Elliot to me is like one of the best little characters that exists and he has there's these beautiful moments where he's got that red sweater on and the way it's lit there's you're getting like red bounce light under his neck and it's like this great foreshadowing that like shit's gonna go down with Elliot yes I was like, oh, Spielberg, you're the best at this. But like his little silhouette, like his big baggy sweater and his like his little jeans. He's like such a good character. I was like, oh, you can't like make this up. Like he's just Spielberg's just the greatest at everything. He is. Yeah, he just definitely when Spielberg was hitting it hard, it's just like uh, nobody can touch his work. He can't. And anytime anybody badmouths him, I'm like, fuck off. He's fucking like we have so many great things because of that guy. It's like. A lot of my childhood is defined by his work. It's just so good. And anytime I want to go back, like you can still, like you said, Jurassic Park, you can still go back and watch it now. And it's still amazingly entertaining, totally fun, a great ride. And it's a lot of fun. You know, it's like you just can't, things don't last that long, I feel anymore. And what I'm, what I'm saying about the Fury Road and stuff is stack that against Jurassic Park. Where does that lie? You know? Yeah, that's but what that's I'm like saying. a really unfair comparison. Yeah, no, but I, how how is it not? Because what I'm saying is that everybody's like, it's the best. I want to, yeah, like they freaking out for it. I'm like, yes, I agree. It's awesome. And But I also say I'm just wanting people to be aware of we're in a drought right now. You know, like we don't have, there's no Spielbergs anymore. We don't have that, you know, like we don't have those films anymore. So just be aware of what is you know, and go watch those films. But I think also a lot of it's nostalgia. You know, Andrew's younger. He like lost his shit for Mad Max, you know? So I, you're going to not like me for this, but I liked Mad Max better than Jurassic Park. You're allowed. See, but that's what it is, though. Yeah. Andrew's, uh, he just turned 16, so like it totally makes sense. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wait, really? No. No, no. <laughs> no, he's 17. I'm just joking. I'm, I just turned 23. Yeah, he's a little there older. 
that he's still it's fine you're allowed to not like i've met so many people that have argued with me on the jurassic park thing there's yeah. a lot of haters of jurassic park really? surprisingly enough yeah. what's the the argument that it's not good i i could chime in i'm not a hater but like i i shut up andrew i didn't love it i mean it just my my biggest issue with it was that like uh, there's a lot of like kind of plot holes i guess no but <laughs> in a in a way that's like very Spielberg though it's yes, like a plot hole a lot, yeah though. it's a plot hole that's there like I feel like they know it's there but mm-hmm. they're just like foregoing it because it'll make a better cinematic experience but yeah. it, like they built up too much for me like I don't know I just like they once they crossed a certain threshold it just like killed my suspense of disbelief and I kind of I don't know so the only criticism that I've that people have given me that I think is valid is that velociraptors are like six inches tall or something, or they were what? they weren't they weren't big. Yeah. There's a lot of like complete factual like like dinosaurs were nothing like they are in Jurassic Park. Oh, shut up! I don't want to hear about it. It's awesome. <laughs> That's exactly how they would do it, and they'd be breathing on the door and like freaking making sweet ass chicken noises and chasing you in the kitchen it's perfect yeah just let me enjoy that jurassic world yeah <laughs> are you I'm excited a, are for the you new jurassic park that? fuck yeah. no i'm not gonna watch that that looked horrible what the it. shit i'm not, not? watching it could be the next jurassic park <laughs> no it cannot be it's, just, I, it's literally the next jurassic it, park it's it, not it's like a complete they, it's such a fan service it is I, fuck I'm off not man yeah. service, i'm gonna see it i'm gonna see that movie for sure Nah, uh, yeah. Well, you guys can go. I'm not going to see it. I'm going to, you know, that day that it comes out, I'll just watch Jurassic Park, the number one. What are you <laughs> going to do, though, if people come back and are like, it's the best movie ever? What are you, are you going to go see it or no? No. <laughs> I'm He's like an asshole. You're in your about room in the dark with your arms crossed. No, like, I'm going to oh, sit at home it. and draw. <laughs> I'm going to do other things with my time. And, you know, I think also as I get older, I'm like, fuck, man, I only have so much time. I'm going to do the most with the time that I have. It's important. You know, I don't, I don't want to like, I'm maybe that's the wrong way of looking at it, but I don't want to waste my life sitting there in movies. Like honestly, now if I sit in a movie and I'm 20 minutes in or 30 minutes in, I'm, I'm not into it. I just go to sleep. I don't give a fuck. If I'm with there with my wife, I just go to sleep. If yeah, I don't go I do to sleep. Yeah. I'm like, dude, this sucks. I'm out of here, man. Like, and if I don't just, I can't just walk out. So um, but if I am by myself, I'm like, fuck this film. And I'll jump into another theater. <laughs> it's like, hey, what's this <laughs> film? Like watch like this parts of like a little animated film. And like, this sucks too. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I was talking to Andrew about it. Have you, have you, uh, have you guys seen, um, it follows mm-hmm. John has seen it. Yeah. John it, thought I refuse to see scary movies. Uh, what? I can't, I can't. I, it's it's really bad. I, I turn into like a little child. Like I can't sleep. And so I tell John, it's like, I will watch Babadook with you. I will watch this movie, but let it be known that I then you're going to have to wake up every time I have to go to the bathroom. And you're going to have to like let me know that you're still there. And so I don't get abducted by a ghoul. Like, that's awesome. Uh, I want to watch that. I've heard that's good too. Yeah. I won't do it because uh, I saw The Conjuring and I stayed awake for like three nights. <laughs> the Conjuring like lightweight shit too that's one uh, yeah so i, I yeah. loved it follows that's it, totally filled with tons of issues and and stuff but it had it was so cool to see a film nowadays that really 
Like, it was so close. To it being was. Great. It yeah. was so close to being really amazing. But yeah. I, all in all, it was like I, I yeah, highly recommend I it to everybody to go see it, that because yeah. it, it, what it is. But yeah, if you're not into horror films yeah it might it might get you i loved it man it was some of those times in that i love getting freaked out by horror films that's like one of the only like recent horrors i can think of where like it's actually like a lasting dread rather than like a yes. pop-up scare oh no yeah it's it's a, it's two hours of dread and you're like fuck yeah. man or, oh, when's that really gonna, like slow uh, <laughs> yeah well, I like being scared. I just don't like the being scared when I'm going to bed. Like that's the <laughs> part that I don't. I, like in the moment, I'm like, yeah, this is fun. And then later, I'm like, I'm a 30 year old woman who can't sleep because of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah so. it does it to me too. And my wife's like, toughen up, bitch. Nah, I'm joking. She she can't handle scary movies either. So, yeah, that movie uh, fucked in my head. Yeah. Yeah, he said it was really good. I might, maybe one day when I grow up, I'll watch it, but <laughs> not right now. Yeah. Um, I also fall asleep at bad movies, though. I'm going to also probably piss people off, but I fell asleep at Iron Man 3 oh, uh, <laughs> during the scene where they're like in a, they're in like Air Force One, oh, I God. think, or, or the whatever the president's airplane is. I don't even know how they got into the president's airplane. <laughs> I don't even know if it was the president's airplane, but yeah. I like there's like this crazy action scene and everything's like like spinning around and like there's fire for some reason. It's, it's like necessary. Inception it's necessary. Sound and stuff is happening but i just like like i'm done like i didn't wake up till the end oh, yeah yeah it's a bad yeah, movie i can't sit through those either i have a hard time with all the movie, marvel movies and stuff and i grew up with like marvel comics and and like um the x-men and all that stuff that was a part i mean the first class was it was an enjoyable film i think and I, I felt like they were really pushing it with the last one that they were trying to do it's really hard when you bring in the time travel stuff into films but um yeah it's tough if i don't like a film though, i'm over it like i give it 30 minutes i'm like fuck off film you suck <laughs> like i'm not i'm not gonna spend any more time on you i'd, I'd rather go watch a kurosawa film you know because those bitches are long and so i better be ready for those you know and i'd rather save time for those you know so i uh, do agree with you with the whole like not wanting to waste your time anymore did you if you ever watch cosmos he's in like yes. a library do you watch that it's yeah. one of my favorite shows he's one of my favorite people too i'm hopefully gonna yeah. get a chance to meet him soon i'm really excited I'm, I will die of jealousy. Um, I'll have to send you guys a message. <laughs> send me a selfie and I'll just like curl up into a little ball and Meal cry selfie. about it. <laughs> <laughs> but he has that, that episode where he's like in front of a, he's in a library and he talks about like, oh, there's this many books in this library, but you'd only ever be able to read the ones that are in this frame if you read a book a day. It's fucked. Uh, so far. Yeah. It's like, or if you read every day, I think is what he said. And it's like, yeah, I, I kind of used to have this thing I kind of still have it where I'll start reading a book and even if it's garbage, like I got made fun of so bad. We went on a Japan trip and I spent the entire time trying to struggle through this really garbage vampire book. And <laughs> I was like, why am I, do why am I doing this? Finish, I, must finish. I forced myself through it. And then I just felt empty, like empty. Like I just, I could have read an incredible book and instead I read this garbage vampire. Book. <laughs> no, that's, that's, it's, it's, you know, like I always think to myself, like, what would Steve Jobs do? Or what would Neil Tyson do? Or what would Elon Musk do? You know, like, I don't know if they would sit through a shit book if it was like, ah, there's, I have, there's other things for me to do. And, uh, when you're designing your life, I think the, the pivotal part of your design is to, to find what you do with your time. Cause that's really, 
the essential part. And so I just don't give, I don't watch, I hardly watch any films in the theater anymore. I honestly, uh, I just, I don't really, the last one I saw was Mad Max and that was like the first one since like it follows, I think. Um, like two months ago. (laughs) Well, that's a long time for somebody that loves movies and wants to direct film, you know, like Mm. I'm watching other films, but I I think it is. I have like Saman watches films every day. He's always at the theater. He'll go see like fast and furious. And I'm like, what are you going to do? Why, why would you do that? And he just called me an elitist. And I was like, well, I guess so. So, (laughs) (laughs) no. Okay. So really big, serious question. Uh, did you like interstellar? Uh, hey, that wasn't for me. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Nolan fan. I respect that guy and what he's done with his career. He's really built it brick by brick. I'm not trying to not avoid, I'm trying not trying to avoid your question, but I think it's a very, <laughs> it's a very complicated film and I think it ended poorly. Um, I think that the plot decisions and the character choices were really, underwhelming you know if it's basically what like this for example is if you're a father and your whole quote-unquote goal in in life is to provide and protect and be there for your family so the last thing you should do is fucking leave earth and go into a black hole and then when you get there and you see your daughter and she's old as shit and about to die you're like hey peace out daughter i'm gonna go fly a space it's like dude (laughs) it's constantly fuck like that the whole story fell apart for me honestly and and so the ambitions as a as a as a plot driven um story because if you're gonna do a hollywood film you're gonna do a three act a lot blah 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 you know and you better do it right and i felt that um you know, all things aside, uh, you know, you take the IMAX experience away, you take the Hans Zimmer score away, you take all these amazing graphics away. You kind of have a subpar story with characters I don't give a fucking shit about, honestly. So I didn't really like it, no, on the story part. But as a visual film going experience, fuck yeah, I loved it. Like I was eating it up big time because I love space and they did an amazing job of space. Like so- it, was, it was amazing. Yeah, I like wept during a lot of that movie. Yeah, <laughs> I, cry, I cry during pretty much every movie. But, <laughs> and John's um, like, yeah. no, bring the movie. tissues, babe. We're going theater. <laughs> We're gonna go see Mad Max. You're probably gonna cry about it. <laughs> uh, no, that movie moved me on like a real level. But hmm. it was not so much that story between him and his daughter. Um, but the the concept of the relativity of time is hmm. one of the most complex ideas that we've ever come up with and it's also one of the hardest ideas to talk about like it's just a very let alone to show visually in a narrative like it's just a concept that you you pitch that to a person who's never heard of it before and they're like what the fuck are you talking about like of course time is the same everywhere and so for me that visual representation of the relativity of time was was stunning like i cried over it i cried because i'm a science dork Uh, no and and, but that's true though and it's incredibly beautiful and that like i said i mean you you have films like primer for example who deal with time (laughs) as well but in a very clever and smart way in a very resourceful way completely different and disconnected but i'm really i'm 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 actually constantly infatuated and fascinated by um the concepts of quantum science and the multi um multi-world theories and all these different things um string theory i'm constantly reading about these kind of things because they're fascinating and the idea and concept of time different dimensions and stuff so when i was watching this i was really like i said i was taking in the other there's two films in that 
there's one film that I love and there's one that I just didn't really care for. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the concept of time and all that kind of stuff and how they conveyed, um, these really complex things. Cause you know that he's kind of known for that interest. Uh, inception was, was a film that had to explain itself every couple lines, you know, it's very complex in its design, um, to, to be a, a big movie like it was. And, I feel like this was, you know, round two for him. I'm curious to see, see what's next, but, um, yeah. Did you uh, like that one? Did you like Inception? Uh, so yeah. So Inception first round, um, I was like, fuck that was awesome. Cause the Hans Zimmer score hit me, you know, that was really new. Cause he hadn't really smashed a thing out like that. So, and it's visually amazing cause I'm a visual person. I, I usually watch a film first in the theater with, I just, I don't care about what's going on necessarily. I'm just looking at it and feeling the music and just experiencing that. And then I go back again and either I watch it in the theater or I watch it. If I really like it, I'll go back in the theater and watch the story and the interactions and character development. And then I'll watch it again at home and kind of study it. And the more I started studying it, the more I disliked the story aspect, not the originality, because it's really original in, in its unique way where it, it grabs a lot of unique things from things that I love. And I really admire those guys for doing what they do. Um, but as I watched it more and more, it unraveled itself as to a being a film that kind of tried to please everybody and had a weird kind of way of doing so. And it, it's just a big Hollywood film. You know, honestly, if you said, okay, Ash, we have to sit down and watch Iron Man three or inception. Oh, you know, inception, please, you know, like take me to inception. Um, I'm not going to fight against that. Cause these are, these are, we're talking about similar budgets. Right. Um, but to two different experiences completely, you know? So yeah. How about you? Did you like inception? I, yeah, I liked it. I mean, I'm very easy to please when it comes to movies. Oh, okay, that's good. You're lucky uh, then. Yeah. I like. Uh, it's. I think it's probably because you mentioned that you're interested in making movies, and yeah. I'm really only interested in consuming movies. That's um, good. And so I get to. I'm able to disconnect myself from it, and I can enjoy it on a creative level uh, for the cinematography or for any of the artistic elements of it and I can find inspiration from that to, to bring into what I do but um, because I'm not ever going to or may, I can't say that but I probably won't be involved in the creation of film uh, I don't tend to look at them as critically as some people do I don't think so enjoy that yeah I do I relish yeah well, what, okay so then what's your favorite movie then Ooh, I don't know there's none Uh-oh. there is no what? favorite movie come on dude you don't have a favorite movie? <laughs> no, I, I really don't. Honestly, I love too many movies. Um, I mean, like you know, you catch me on a certain day. I, I'll say Apocalypse Now is my favorite movie. You know, um, you, another day I'll say Godfather, for example, or I'll say Two Thousand One, or Blade Runner, or Star Wars, or Empire Strikes Back. It just depends on what I'm into at that moment. Um, I guess probably. Is more or less like what's uh, my favorite current movie. And I don't know what that is, honestly. I don't know if I've lost my taste for what's a good movie to me personally. And, um, but yeah, I don't have a favorite movie though. That's weird. I don't know. I love too many films. So I think that's why. So I mean, I've heard other people say that. Andrew, what's yours? Do you know? Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, he loves that shit. Shaun of the Dead, I think, is like, people give me a lot of shit for it, especially Ash, but like... No, it's, it's okay. That's No, I'm not, I don't mean like, it's, it's, I think the interesting thing about it being my favorite movie is that I also love the really complex movie, like my favorite movie is Shaun of the Dead and my second favorite movie is like 
a nearly silent French movie where like it's Shaun of the Dead just like for anyone who doesn't know it's like basically a, a zombie parody film from like I think 2004 but it's like in my opinion every single aspect of it is so flawlessly executed that it has just become a really like significant part of my like artistic culture I guess like the all the how kind of everything in that story connects back to itself in one way or another and like all the characters are so developed and I don't know it's (laughs) that's that's uh I don't know it's like impossible to explain it really but yeah, I, I I find music movies to be so unique, like food. And I and I, if you were to say what's your favorite food, I would say I really love the cuisine of Japanese cuisine. But I also love like really great Mexican food, you know. And I can't, like I said, I can't like pin it down. Like a, a recent movie that I can think that I've seen that I was just really in love with was The Descendants, and that's not very new. It was a George Clooney film. Yeah, I remember that. It's a good movie. Fucking great movie. It's brilliantly put together. And I also grew up in Hawaii, so it's really nostalgic for me, too, because it's like, ah, like, no other place looks like that to me, and it's really special. It's a very unique place, and so every time I watch it, I'm like, ah, I just want to go back home. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, but The Descendants, too. But, yeah, it's tough, though. It's hard. I don't know. Like, I'm It's curious. It's weird that you guys could just do the Jurassic Park thing and just eat it up in the Shaun of the Dead. But it's I just whatever movie cool. you can watch. Like people always have those separate, like, Oh, what's my favorite movie or what movie do I think is the best? But like, in my opinion, that's the same movie. Like I enjoy Shaun of the dead so much every time that I watch it, that it has become the best movie in my opinion. Like, I don't think that there's any kind of separation there. Sure. That's interesting. And also to say about people constantly like us rewatching things, you know, what does that say about us? And, is it like rereading like a love letter, you know, like, is that the same kind of psychological experience, you know? I think you try to find new stuff in it. I've, I don't even know how many times I've seen every movie in the Harry Potter series. Like John and I just put them on sometimes in the background. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't even think they're necessarily good films. I just love that world. And it's I a love fun that. world. Yeah. Yeah. It's just cool. It's like, see what little details you can notice in it. Cause it's a very detail rich, it's a lot yeah. of world building in those Tons. stories. Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> yeah, Lord of the Rings. Similar to that is uh spirited away. I could watch that movie over and over and over mm. and over again and never get tired of it. And I, I think it's the same thing. It's world building. I enjoy world building. I like game of Thrones for the same reason. I like love game of Thrones. Yeah. It's such great drama. A lot of people don't. You know, AJ AJ doesn't like it. And it's I was funny. I was like, "What the fuck?" But he likes Michael Bay, so I'm like, "You don't count." So I stopped asking. <laughs> I stopped asking him what he likes. So I mean, it's not without its faults. Such an asshole. Think. No, definitely, it's not perfect. But fuck for a, a television show. I mean, get the fuck out of here. I mean, that's like, not even an excuse anymore, though. Like TV it has been better than movies for a while. It I isn't. Think. But try to compare that show production quality to what else is that? That quality. Lord of the Rings? No. Oh, show. a TV show? TV show. Uh, I don't know. Exactly. There is none. It doesn't that exist. One that one that, what's it called? The one you love? House of Cards. Well, that's that up there. It yeah. is up there, but it doesn't have fucking dragons and full props and like huge ass CG scenes and stuff. It does have some, but nowhere even in the facility. But it doesn't need it, obviously. But House of Cards is amazing. I love House of Cards, too. That's a great show. Man, we're in a dawn of such great stuff, too. 
I, 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 one of my favorite things to watch and I've been watching it a lot lately is I just rewatched the office first season, like one through three or four. Like, I love that show. I can watch that show over and over. It was so good until they should have just ended it with Michael. Like it should have ended with him and not gone on for like Andy Bernard and and all the rest of them. stories. (laughs) I never watched it. I refused to. (laughs) Yeah. You're, you're very lucky because you got to end that show. (laughs) <laughs> the way it should have ended yeah um, when michael because, left i was like okay it's enough <laughs> yeah it was a beautiful moment too between him and pam like, it was a beautiful way to end that show and then they just chose to put will ferrell on it and then, <laughs> there, it had some moments or some funny moments but it just it lost its appeal to me but sure uh, i am tv is really exciting right now i love that so it's good. become like far better in so many ways than a lot of movies that are out right now. It's destroying movies. It really is. Cause you have this long experience, you know, I have friends that we talk about these television shows. I mean, Andrew's going back into lost. I mean, dude, come on. Lost is amazing. When that was my favorite show. Okay. When that show ended, we had this huge party. We made our my friend's basement the Dharma, like one of the Dharma centers. <laughs> so it was like this like creepy basement on the uh, East Coast. And we had like big Dharma posters printed out. His girlfriend took chocolate bars and wrapped them in the Dharma oh, printouts man. that she had. That's cool. Uh, that show, when it ended, I felt like a relationship ended for me. Yeah. Like, I was so attached to it. Yes. Um, I was the same way, and that's why I was so pissed. I had a hard time with the ending. I've been arguing with Andrew about it. What do you think of the ending? <laughs> Oh God, I'm with. The, I liked the ending. Really? Yeah. The whole the whole purgatory shit and explaining it all. Okay, so uh, yes, I didn't. I didn't mind that they were in purgatory. Damn and you! I didn't. Purgatory. Mind, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it really wasn't like they were all okay. in the afterlife. Uh, sure. And- it's not called the purgatory. It's just defined as the same thing as what a purgatory is. Come on, okay, guys. Okay, but fans were saying the island was purgatory. I loved that little jab that the, the writers took. They were like, nope, island wasn't purgatory. This yeah. other place was everything but the island was purgatory. I kind like that was really cheeky of them, and I kind of loved them for it. Sure. Um, They're but, just trying to throw people for a loop again, which is that what that show did best. Yeah, but people were saying that there were things that weren't tied up and I didn't feel that at all. Like people were like, well, what was the statue for? And it's like, it was just to show that other civilizations had been there to try to, to get this thing. And they failed. Like, I thought that was pretty clear. Like they didn't have to write it out for me. It was like, Oh, obviously that's what that meant. So people got obsessed with like, Oh, they didn't tie up every end. Sure. Why, why do you need that? Like, that's not lost. That? Yeah. yeah. Like, lo- the entire point of the show, like that's the perfect example of like the journey being the destination. Like if you're looking for the answers in that show, then you're watching the wrong show. I didn't want to know the answers. That's what I thought was beautiful about it. And I think that's what I loved about that show is because it was so interactive with your imagination that it opened up way more questions and answers. And it just kept asking you, making you ask questions. And I thought, that's the genius behind that show personally for me. It's a brilliant show. Amazing. And I love the heck out of it. And I just didn't want answers to the questions that people kept posing that I didn't think it needed it. Honestly, I felt like, yeah, there's a hatch in the ground. Who fucking cares? Like, let it be, you know, like you don't need to know the answer to it, you know? So, but, um, yeah. Yeah. The, com- 
Yeah. The community of that show was, I thought, the coolest part. Like, it, yeah. as you watched along with it, there were all these websites that would pop up and, yeah, like, all really these fan forums. Oh, yeah, and people with their, like... Because, so, Game of Thrones is different because I read the books. Um, oh, I hear the books are amazing, too. And it's pretty accurate for the, at least the first season, I think, right? Uh, Only the first season. And to be frank, I think the show is much better. The books are really poorly paced. Um, and I liked them. I, I read them a long time ago, but it was, um, yeah, I feel like they did a better job with the show, honestly. Awesome. Uh, but you can't have that same community where you're guessing in a big group about, like, you, you, anyone who didn't read the books won't dare go on the internet and read about it because the answers are there, like, the actual answers. Until now, actually, we're at the point where it's pretty much caught up and it's changed so much that you could have this now, but I think it's too far gone. Um, but lost to this incredible community. And uh, one of the concept artists, Ashley Swadowski, she's a character concept artist. She's also one of my favorite artists uh, at Naughty Dog. Um, <laughs> her and I talk about Lost like on a weekly basis. Lost awesome. will come up. <laughs> and it's like, what an amazing testament to that show that it's amazing. Like, years, it's like 10 years since the first episode aired. Yeah, so and good. We still talk about this show all yeah. the time. It's a brilliant uh, show. It is brilliant. And I really think like the design of it by by anim- by activating the audience's curiosity on a contin- con- consistent basis and throwing wild cards into the story aspects is a brilliant design and it it caters to all these different things like uh um you know Twilight Zone and all these different like all these pivotal um entertainment aspects but also psychologically is very smart in how it taps into things, you know. So but, you know, everybody likes it for different reasons and they like different characters for different reasons. You know, like I really loved Locke and his whole mystery, his life. And then you had Mr. Echo, who is fascinating and all these different characters. And you had the extras that came on to it. I mean, it's just fuck that show. I remember my wife hadn't watched it and we started watching all this, the, the entire series together. And I remember sitting there with her going like, God, man, I forgot how amazing this show is. You know, like I just want to go through it again. Andrew, did you watch the whole thing all over again? No, I watched the first season so far. Okay, I'm going to go back through the first season. I'm going to watch Jurassic Park and Lost first season. Get back. First season is pretty shit. like untouchable. Like, it is. It there's is. like no flaw in the entire first season. Can't touch it. Have you guys seen the Black uh, Black Mirror uh, White Christmas yet? Mm-hmm. Uh, no. Go watch John that. keeps wanting me to watch it. He just convinced me the other day because I'm convinced it's scary for some reason. No, it's not. It's like, not. I'm worried he's tricking me and that it's scary. But I watched the. It sounds scary. It's like, not. But, uh, it's not. I watched the, the episode, it's the memory up. episode, which oh, was. Oh, the really entire cool. history of you? Yeah, that was a really cool. Because of the UI. I was like, oh, look. <laughs> the UI of their mind. <laughs> yeah, it's so fucked. It's so good. Uh, yeah, it was a messed up. I was like, wow, I kind of want that, though. Like, isn't that weird? Like, you're supposed to not want it. But no. I'm like, how cool would that be? I don't know. I'm the, the spoiler alert for you, those who haven't seen this. Uh, it's the entire history of you episode. If you haven't seen Black Mirror and you're a fan of this podcast, I don't know what you're doing anyway. It's because I talk about it every episode almost. But yeah, the whole scene where they're having sex and he's like, and they're like totally looking at old clips and stuff. It's like, oh, it's so fucked. People so totally do that. Like it's so, yeah. <laughs> this, the design of it. And I love how blunt and honest it is. You guys have to watch the, uh, the Christmas special though, like Charlie, Charlie, the the author, the writer of that story show is, 
he's on a really a different level. I think it's really interesting. I think I feel like he's he's afraid of the future and almost a phobic. And he's like instead of hiding away from it, he exposes <laughs> it into a story. That's what I feel like because it's very honest and very. You know, you have, like I said, you have those scene, the scene where they're having sex and you have that and, and you know, it's, it's a really kind of a rough concept to sell, but it works and it makes sense and it drives it home kind of un- in an uncomfortable realm, you know, but it totally makes yeah. sense. I accept that I'm so not afraid of the future. I'm like, yes, I can't wait. John and I always talk about being old people with our crazy VR and we're just going to like live in our alternate reality. So it doesn't even matter. <laughs> you don't care what you guys look like in living in an avatar because yeah, eventually they'll be able to create memories. And once they can create memories, they can probably be able to program your existence and then throw you into a machine into like a, um, almost like a multiverse in the cloud, you become data, you know, so you become immortal. Yeah, That's no, what I that guy's wait. talking about. Yeah, That's I'm awesome. excited for that. Me too, because then you can just <laughs> continually live and then you're outside of your body. So you're kind of boundless. And then what does an entity outside of your body do? And what matters? Time doesn't matter because time only is essentially a device here on earth because we know it's, we're fighting against it, you know? So it really drives a lot of our decision-making. But if you become an entity of energy and time and space, like it's, you have, you have no bounds basically. And that's the fascinating stuff, you know? But like, you know, what's even more fascinating is that everything would be boundless, but people would still just use it for porn, like 24 <laughs> seven porn. Like, Probably John, mostly John, I think. Yeah, sure. That's like the, the <laughs> limit of our imagination. It's just like, what fucking weird porn can I look at? Uh, I, I think the so porn thing is definitely coming from the, uh, the the urge of evolution, obviously. So I'm curious, you know, like, I mean, I'm, I'm totally fucking with your joke. I know you're fucking around, but I'm curious to see like what it will be when we can go like, oh, well, we don't have this urge anymore. Because I can test, uh, you know, testify myself as a man. It's like it's probably like fifty percent of my day is equated to it. So once I have fifty percent of my ability back, it's like, well, bam, you know, like super ninja style and do super brain. There's always an episode of Seinfeld that I love where George Costanza, um, his he's with a girl and she refuses to have sex with him, so he just like agrees to because she has to take a test or something, and he becomes super smart because he's not focusing on sex and he's just like just killing it with the logic and then uh yeah i don't know if you've seen that it's a great episode that's I'm another pro- I feel great like show i've seen who hasn't seen every seinfeld episode yeah. at this point like if you've had a tv in the 90s tbs reruns yeah like, you've seen every friends episode not meaning to and you've also seen every seinfeld episode not meaning to never so. watched those the friend ones but i've i watched every south park or south park every seinfeld religiously so yeah i promise you you've been like in waiting rooms or something like the the cumulative your life with friends playing somewhere on a TV. <sighs> I promise you, you've seen all of them. Like in the back of your mind somewhere, they exist. The entire series of friends. When they back up my brain TV. to the cloud, I want them to erase the friend shit. So no, they won't. I'll re- I'll, gonna, they'll have that. They'll be the first thing. Hey, do you want us to re- remove the friendship from your like, Yeah, take that shit out. <laughs> no, you, you're stuck with Monica and no. Chandler and Ross. <laughs> totally name. Jennifer Aniston. You're stuck with all of them. The clapping part in the theme song is always gets me. I'm like, oh, God, this show. <laughs> yeah. The whole show gets me. It's just a bizarre. It the is. 90s. It is the 90s and the fucking 90s. But they, there's some great things that came out of it. 
Well, man, we're really we're, this is a long episode, and I still oh, have, geez, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I know, don't be apologetic. This is great because the conversation's amazing. And it's really working like awesomely, and we should definitely, you know, would be really cool is get both of you guys on if you ever up for it. Um, oh yeah, we might have to share a mic because when we both use the, that's what I had to do for Maches because when we both use <laughs> the mic, you'll get crazy feedback. From oh. Us. Yeah, well, whatever. You don't have to. It just, um, I think it'd be a lot of fun, you know? Like, it's really interesting and awesome to see, like, a relationship functioning, working. Like, it's it takes a lot of work and balance to make it happen. And, you know, like you said, like, harnessing and, and hiding and, and kind of, like, controlling your ego and working with somebody. And, like, I don't know. It's, it's a really unique dynamic, you know? I think that could be a really cool episode. I'm sure people would really enjoy that if you're if you guys are up for it letting us infringe on your personal life so or we can just talk about jurassic park for two hours so uh yeah both of us would do the jurassic park thing true our life is so boring it's just us and our cats who you probably heard this entire time screaming behind me so missed it (laughs) that that's us that's us and our cats john watching porn and yelling at the cat yeah. He's like, hey, you're getting yeah, in the way of my it. porn. That's it, exactly. <laughs> He's going to listen to this guy, like, what the fuck? Oh, he can hear it. Oh, uh, awesome. Yes. Did he? Oh, it's perfect. I hope he's making a face. <laughs> no, he just he doesn't care. He's like, okay, it's fine. Everybody knows I love porn, so it's okay. <laughs> awesome. Was there anything else that you wanted to and pass on everybody? Like uh, any super knowledge that you wanted to drop for all the students out there art art enthusiasts and all that good stuff <laughs> no i don't think i have any super knowledge i gained it all from reading disney art books there you go <laughs> just read those and you dropped a few which are great we'll definitely have links to them in the podcast show notes so people can get access to those because those are really amazing i have those myself and um yeah i've gotten through both of those halfway at least and yeah, I probably stopped it because I was like, I suck and I got to go do something else. But yeah, they're really amazing for somebody that's incredibly motivated and want to just make a career out of this stuff. All you got to do is really read one of those books and really get into it. It's a great starting point, I think, personally. Yeah, they're amazing. Check them out. Super amazing. Well, you're amazing. And thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been really uh, it's been a total delight being able to chat with you. And I really appreciate you passing off this knowledge to everybody and sharing everything. So. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, guys, for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, have a good night. Get some sleep. Pet the <laughs> cats. Watch some Jurassic Park. <laughs> Gonna oh. play Bloodborne. Be that. Oh person. God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do it then. Do it. And uh, Andrew will eat some Chipotle, and I'll go back to work. We'll just go yeah. back to our path. <laughs> <laughs> And that does it for this week's episode. Big thank you to Alexandria for joining us this week. You can find links to her work in all of the show notes for this week's episode at thecollectedpodcast.com slash 106, along with links to our Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes podcast page. We also have a new feature on the website, which is a newsletter. This includes up-and-coming events and guests and all that goodness. So if you want more information, check it out at thecollectedpodcast.com slash newsletter. Have an amazing day, everybody. Be powerful. Be prolific. Peace out.